Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green. So here's my guest appearance on the Answers in Reason YouTube channel. In the first third, we discuss Young Earth Creationism, the second, Charismatic Christianity, and in the final third, we cover a variety of topics related to atheism, apologetics, consciousness, and philosophy. I made a half-joking remark at the beginning that I wanted to clarify because it might actually obscure a key point about young earth creationism. I labeled young earth creationists science deniers and joked about them trying to find the sweet spot of science denial. Not too much, not too little. And if anyone has ever deserved that label, it would be young earth creationists. But it's important to note that they don't see themselves that way. Something I used to hear all the time was, If it were real science, it wouldn't contradict God's word. For them, the Bible is epistemically foundational, so if anything is in conflict with it, they know it's wrong. But it's interesting that they don't say, science is in conflict with the Bible, therefore science is not to be trusted. Rather, they say, if it were real science, it wouldn't contradict God's word. Even young earth creationists don't want to be science deniers. They actually do respect the authority of science, so much so that they need it to be on their side. I think this is important to anyone who wants to understand young earth creationism, and in any event, I think it's of interest psychologically, sociologically, and historically. I know it was just a silly offhand comment, but this point never came up explicitly, and I wouldn't want someone listening to get an inaccurate impression of young earth creationism from me. Considering just how alien young earth creationism apparently is to so many, I wouldn't want to mislead anyone. One other point that was touched on but I wanted to make a little more explicit is to do with luck. Something I learned by going from young earth creationist to naturalist was the dramatic influence of luck over our beliefs. Especially when we're young, we absorb many beliefs from our local environment. We don't research and check up on what we're being told, we just uncritically accept the testimony of trusted authorities. Of course, this is part of how we form beliefs into adulthood as well, but it's especially pronounced for young children. If you tell a young child the universe is 14 billion years old, the earth is 4.5 billion years old, and humans are 250,000 years old, they will believe you uncritically. If you tell them that the universe, earth, and humankind are all 6,000 years old, they will believe you uncritically. The belief formation process is identical in both cases which you were told was entirely outside your control. This realization, after losing what turned out to be very strange beliefs about the age of the earth and humankind, helped me glimpse the pervasive influence of luck. And luck goes much, much deeper. But this was one small thing that illustrated how blind luck could dramatically influence your worldview and even what seems like common sense to you. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Joe and Dave. So without further ado, here's my guest appearance on Answers and Reason. Hello and welcome to the Fresh Air Sci-Fi Show. I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And today we have a special guest with us. His name is Emerson Green. I'm sure many of you already know who he is, but it's great to have you here. Emerson, how are you? 
I'm great. Thanks for finally having me on. Yeah, I'm so pleased to have you here. Now, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Um, I have two podcasts. One is about philosophy of religion, and the other is, you know, sort of my uh, all my other interests, I guess. Usually it's philosophy of mind and stuff, but um, it's counter-apologetics for the philosophy of religion side of things, and Walden Pod is the name of the other one. And um, I've been uploading more to YouTube lately. I just have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Emerson Green. So that's where you can find my stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm mostly interested in um, philosophy of religion and the uh, metaphysics of consciousness. And, and what is it that uh, brought you to uh, the philosophy of religion? Just growing up religious in ministry, um, you know, like my grandpa's a pastor, my uncle's a pastor. Um, my family's been involved in ministry. Like it's kind of like, I jokingly say it's like the family business sometimes. Um, <laughs> and you know, like, so, and I thought I was going to do that too. I was like leading worship and stuff and involved in leadership. Um, and you know, I still think that these are like some of the most important questions that you can ask and like some of the most interesting questions because it's like an intersection of, of every interesting topic in philosophy. Um, yeah, I like philosophy of religion. Um, some people kind of, uh, you know, don't think as highly of it, but I think it's a super interesting discipline um, where you, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. Um, but yeah, you know, I like it. And uh, I mean, that that's what brought you here to the stream tonight, actually, is you responded to one of our videos and you were speaking about your, your history with religion yourself. So uh, you actually said that you were a YEC and a charismatic Christian, but now you'd say that you're an atheist. Is that correct? Yep. I think God probably doesn't exist. And I would also say I'm a naturalist. I just, I just think that there's the natural world and, and that's all there is. And uh, so from that, I mean, would you say that that is generally how you describe the atheist label? I mean, not getting into the whole debate about atheists, but if we were to call you an atheist tonight, we'd say that you were using it as someone that thinks God does not exist. Yep. I would, I think God probably doesn't exist. I'm making a positive claim. I don't just lack a belief, um, not to get into all that, but yeah, I mean, I, I went from not caring about that whole debate at all to just kind of being like a strong atheist or whatever. Um, but yeah, atheism, it's a proposition. I affirm it. There's evidence for it. It's not that complicated for me. No, no, that's fair. I mean, uh, that's why you're responding to our video on the, uh, the questions for non-theists and, and, and atheists and responded the way you did. Uh, and as we mentioned, you, you were a YEC or young earth creationist. And as Dave and I were talking about on, on the video that we responded to, we've never really interacted with any real young earth creationists. I met one at work some 10, 15 years ago. So I've got a slight view. I've chatted to a couple of possibly the more fundamentalist types on the internet, but I would love to hear a bit more from you about what young earth creationism actually is and what the core beliefs are. So could you, could you just explain that to us? Yeah. So like, um, first I thought it was so funny when I was hearing the stream, you know, originally when you said that, because I, I, it was just the water I swam in, you know, and I didn't realize that it wasn't common. Um, I thought it was weird to believe in evolution or to think that the earth was old. Like I thought those were like 
fringe beliefs that like God's not dead style professors believed in, but like no normal people believed in. Like I never looked at polling data. I didn't like I. Um, so before I start getting into my own like personal biography or whatever, I'm just saying like um, it, it was just something that was very common, you know, growing up. And uh, yeah, so young earth creationists, they just they take the Bible literally. They read Genesis literally. Um, they think the Bible is the inspired word of God. Um, and yeah, they just think like, hey, God, it, 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 it's meant to be taken literally. So they look at the genealogies in Genesis and they add them all up and they say, hey, the earth is 6,000 years old. Um, this is a, you know, the world and universe and everything in the biological realm was created in a seven day period. And then we can read the genealogies in Genesis, add up all the years, and that's where they get the age of the earth from. So, you know, and they consider themselves to be sort of like the realist Christians. Like, you know, they're the real Christians. <laughs> And everyone else is kind of a fake Christian. And, you know, they think that as soon as you start denying the literal truth of the Bible, like, you are on a slippery slope to atheism and orgies and abortion and other uh, forms of evil, like, that are just inevitable once you stop taking Genesis literally. Um, so, it's like the Ken Ham types. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was everyone I knew growing up until I was, like, a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a different world to us to imagine that there that there are so many um i mean even uh, i even lived for a year in 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 michigan um and the people around me were generally catholic and there are a couple of muslims um and even when i lived out there for that year there were i i didn't even hear of young earth creationists but at that point in time i i wasn't pretty it wasn't really big myself on the whole religion thing i'd gone through my christian schools and I was in a point where I was going in and out of being an agnostic and a pagan and, you know, exploring things myself. Um, but yeah, the the fact that <laughs> taking the Bible literally true. Now, you mentioned 6,000 years. So I've spoken to a couple of people and the common theme tends to be this 6,000 years. But I've also had people add in uh, additional time as well so to make it up to sort of between 10 and 12,000 years so it seems that there isn't necessarily a consistency between some young earth creationists what's your take on that yeah i mean there are different kinds of young earth creationism um ken ham is probably the most mainstream representative you know 6,000 years that sort of thing um but yeah i mean there's like flat earth creationism like a lot of uh flat earthers are also young earthers and um you know, like Answers in Genesis has had to address this and try to be like, okay, listen, don't trust the science, but not that much. Okay, we need to get the right amount of not trusting what scientists <laughs> say about things, you know, cosmology and whatnot. Um, and you guys are taking it too far. But yeah, it's funny, they've had to address it because like a lot of young people are becoming, well, not a lot, but like it's a, it's a noticeable trend, I guess, to the point where they feel like they need to be like, don't be a flat earther, please. Um, but yeah, they're... <laughs> There are different kinds of uh, creationism. I never met any of the, uh, you know, 12,000 earthers or whatever. It's just, you know, I, I only ever dealt with like the more like Answers in Genesis style. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it was a pretty standard belief in my church, you know, in my uh, like Christian communities. Like there was one guy at my church who believed in evolution and he was kind of an outcast. Like he was uh, like when he 
made it known that he believed in evolution during like a board meeting. He was just sitting there with his arms crossed, you know, and everyone's like badgering him like, what? Like you like they were just like so taken aback that that he held that um, belief. And he, it's because he went to Michigan State University and just like was just kind of shocked into, you know, accepting the age of the earth and evolution and everything um, once his, you know, sort of bubble was popped. And, uh, you know, similar thing happened with me. But um, the thing is, like, that's how this belief gets perpetuated, I think. It's mostly just, like, it's just normal. Like, you're just taught this from a young age, and you don't even realize that anyone thinks anything different. And, um, you know, so, like, the town, like, I originally am from these, like, two sort of neighboring towns, um, Bloomingdale, Michigan, and Goebbels, Michigan. And they are like rural towns. Um, last I checked, I think the population is in both towns is less than a thousand people. Um, and like, that's where I was for, you know, like most of my life and then, uh, moved to, uh, the big city, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, when I was like, I don't know, 14, maybe. Um, and, uh, you know, and like, that's when the, uh, young earth creationist beliefs started to unravel. Because I was just exposed to other people. I was just exposed to other beliefs, you know. And I, like, once I got outside of that little epistemic bubble, um, you know, it's impossible to maintain that belief because there's nothing supporting it except taking the Bible literally. There's no scientific reason whatsoever to believe the Earth is 6,000 years old. It's really, really not 6,000 years old. And, like, you can't really learn anything without but continually bumping into that fact. And you have to do a lot of work to make it coherent. There are some very smart young earth creationists, believe it or not, and they twist themselves into these crazy knots, you know. But the thing is, like, you know, <laughs> it's possible to do. If you're, if you're clever enough and skeptical enough in just the right way, like, um, you can do it. And some people have really devoted their lives to, uh, to making it work and consistent with the data it's obviously not a good theory but i'm saying like you can really work to make the data we have consistent with young earth creationism if you really really want to but yeah i mean exposure to other belief systems like that was pretty much what did it for me you know just peer pressure like um i hope i'm not going on too long here but no 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 it's fascinating there there was this uh moment when i was in uh 10th grade or 11th grade i think when one of my friends just like, like uh, they were talking about evolution, and I just was kind of like incredulously like, "You believe in evolution?" And then they were just in- equally incredulous back to me, and they were like, "You don't." And like, so that kind of peer pressure, you know, actually did cause me to like look into it more. You know, like when you're a teenager, and you know, someone is just like, you know, what are you stupid? Like that does like have a have an influence on you, like pretty dramatically, especially when it's like a friend, you know. Um, so that sort of caused me to at least be open to it because, you know, my friends were Christians, you know, but like they were just kind of baffled that I didn't believe in evolution. And I was baffled that, again, anyone who wasn't like a God's not dead professor um, accepted this. So, you know, like I didn't, like I said, I wasn't aware of any polling data. I didn't have any idea of like how many people believe this or how many didn't. Just everyone I knew believed it and I never bothered to look into it. Um, I just didn't really care. I, it wasn't really um, a part of anything I was remotely interested in. So, I suppose um, everything became, everything else was the extraordinary belief to you. You know, the ordinary belief 
was the young earth in, in your world. So everything else became the extraordinary belief. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's this thing that Joe Schmid said once that stuck with me about how we all occupy like a unique position on the grand epistemic landscape. Like we all have different peers and different familial groups. We've read different books, papers, we've all read different things, seen different videos and debates and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's just like the evidence base that we're all working with is completely different, you know, and um, that can be pretty dramatically the case if you're like kind of isolated uh, like I was. But um, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's not something that is impossible to talk people out of. Like if people remember nothing else from this stream, I guess that would be it is like it is possible to reason people out of this belief. It's like. People are sometimes like out of laziness or I don't know what, like they just think that, oh, you can't reason people out of young earth creationism. Yes, you can. Like it, I, I know for a fact, like um, that that's possible. <laughs> so like when the whole Ken Ham, Bill Nye debate was going on, like that was sort of when I was really, um, you know, starting to look into it, I guess. Um, and keep in mind, I was in 11th grade when that happened, which is way too old to be <laughs> believing in young earth creationism. but. Um, you know, I was looking into it and that really sort of like pushed the snowball off the top of the hill. You know, it's not like I walked away from that thinking, oh, I guess young earth creationism is false, but you know, it sort of started the process. Um, and like things just kind of snowballed, but it, it's, you know, that was an important thing. So I just get incredibly annoyed when people say like, oh, you know, there's no point debating this. Like it doesn't do any good. Like you'll never convince anyone. All you're doing is platforming this like bad idea that shouldn't be taken seriously. I absolutely hate that because I, who knows if I might have never been, uh, never been able to like leave that community. Like if people hadn't been out there kind of debating it and trying to show that it's wrong, just using reason. And um, yeah, I just remember watching that debate and thinking like, okay, this is actually not a sure thing. I thought young earth creationism was like a sure thing. And um, I watched that debate and I walked away saying, I guess it's not a sure thing. I mean, a lot of those people who argue that you can't debate these people out of it and you can't reason them out of it, a lot of them would have been young earth creationists themselves <laughs> and now say you can't talk anybody out of it. It's always seemed like a bit of a weird stance to me as well. Yeah. Do you think there's a certain age someone has to come to where they, they get the doubts put in their minds uh, before they get to it? You know, if they get to, say, 30 years old without ever having a doubt about young Earth creationism, are they then sort of too far gone, if you will? Or do you think that they could still be reasoned with? I know people who have changed their minds pretty late in life. I mean, um, I know someone who, you know, deconverted and stopped believing all that uh, young Earth stuff around, like, 28 or 30 um and you know I, I don't know how it worked for her but that was the age she was when she you know so I, i'm just saying like uh you know i don't have numbers or anything but, but yeah i i don't th i think there is a point of no return but i think it's different for everybody like i think some people are uh they settle into their beliefs like sooner than others and some people are kind of lifelong seekers and they're always open to new things you know
Yeah, no, that makes sense. There's a couple of questions that have come in from the chat. And guys, I, I do apologize. I haven't been on the chat as much. I've been just really enjoying the conversation and uh, not wanting to get too distracted. But if you do um, message me directly uh, with any questions you've got for Emerson or, or even us, um, I, I will read them out. We've had one from Mark um, who has said, uh, oh, it's changed bloody things. Sorry. It's um, right there. For me, do you want me to read it no, out? No, it's all right. It's uh, it's the overlay. The overlay changed its ah. color, um, but I've changed it back. Um, everything reset itself just before the stream, which was really handy. Um, <laughs> You're doing your stream with me. Everything's going to go well. <laughs> but Mark asks, uh, what was you know a particular aha moment or was it just the accumulation of data i mean you mentioned that whole thing um with the debate with ken ham and bill nye was something that got the the ball rolling but can you think of a single ah um well something that is uh maybe worth mentioning is that i actually did not even i was agnostic about evolution when i became an atheist um, I was not like, um, I didn't change my mind about that for a long time. Like I, I didn't really, cause I became an atheist like around 18, I guess, um, 18, 19. And, um, I didn't believe in evolution <laughs> until after that, um, which I could maybe explain a little how that works. But, um, I, you know, if you just asked me about like, how did all this biological complexity get here? I would say like, well, I don't know. Um, but, uh, just that? Yeah, I, I just, I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about biology, so I couldn't tell you. But um, uh, I, uh, there was no single thing. No, there was like no single thing that really pushed me away from young earth creationism. Um, it was just an accumulation. Um, I'm trying to think, though, if, if there was any like one. I mean, there were a couple good points raised during that debate, I guess, but... Um, Oh, you know what? I guess the distant starlight that really threw me for a loop when I found out about that, where I was like, you know, you just find out like, oh yeah, those stars are like uh, millions and billions of light years away. It takes millions of years for the light to even get here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, so I mean, this, that kind of stuff is just like so knocked down because the way that young earth creationists talk about it amongst each other, they're like, well, Everyone thought the Earth was young because of the Bible until carbon dating came along. But carbon dating sucks, so you can be a young Earth creationist. Like they think the only reason anyone believes in young Earth create or like old Earth stuff is because of carbon dating, and it's like <laughs> there's like no other reason. So they spend a lot of time talking about carbon dating. Um, but uh, yeah, just being hit with stuff about like starlight. I guess that was maybe if I had to pick one thing where I was like, oh, um, well, that's hard to square. Yeah. Um, other than that, it was just an accumulation of things. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Um, Philip also says, uh, what would it take to make the data consistent with young Earth creationism? Doesn't that lead to into extreme skepticism? Yeah. No, it does, for sure. Like, um, Jason Lyle is a presuppositionalist, uh, young Earth creationist guy who uh, spends a lot of time trying to make sense of this. Um, and yeah, his views do kind of lead to like an extreme, like radical skepticism. Um, I actually talk, I made an episode about the distant starlight problem for young earth creationism. And I talk a lot about Jason Lyle because he has 
like sort of an alternate theory of how light works to try to make it the case that the distant starlight problem is not a problem. But it's like, um, yeah, his you do have to get radically skeptical. But the thing is, he is like a physics PhD. You know, like there are people who work for Answers in Genesis who are like physics PhDs in like, a, you know, they're really well educated and they know their stuff. And, you know, with enough ingenuity, you can try to make this consistent but no philip is right that like you're gonna end up just kind of opening yourself up to the possibility of radical skepticism in the course of trying to make the data consistent with young earth creationism yeah <laughs> makes a lot of sense um just to uh continue a, a something we said earlier uh Nathanatos says, uh, I recall writing a procreationist paper for an English class in 10th grade. I didn't educate myself out of it until my mid-20s. So that's another person basically saying, you know, they were in their mid-20s before they came out of young earth creationism. Um, again, this is this is still something. So it was probably my mid-20s before I'd even heard of young earth creationism. Uh so it's it's one of those amazing things. You, you, amazing. Think... You, you never met a real Christian until you were in your mid twenties. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how fallen the world is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just a question from from me. Actually, would you say that it's something I've said before? But would you say something along the lines of if you are in that that epistemic bubble? you are rational to believe in uh, a young earth, even if the conclusion is so obviously false to anyone outside of it. Yeah, no, it can be rational if you have a limited enough evidence base. Like if you just don't know anything um, about the relevant science and you've never even met a person who believes the earth is old, like you're not aware that it's a fringe belief, like you can just not know enough that for you, it is rational to believe that the Earth is young. But um, the more you learn about almost anything in science, it's going to just wither, you know. So it's like I had no interest in science. I was involved. I was more interested in the humanities. Um, so just never came up. And I lived in a small community where everyone kind of was on the same page about this. Just, you know, in, in my little evidence base, like there wasn't much to go on, you know. But as soon as I started, as soon as I was exposed to other people, it just like fell apart, you know. But yeah, you can have a limited enough, um, you know, uh, like sort of pool of information about this to begin with, you know. Like it was rational for our ancestors if they, for some reason, formed a belief that the Earth was six thousand years old, like you know, and they lived a long time ago, and they just never learned any philosophy or um, you know science of the day or anything. Um, of course, it would be rational for them based on the information they have to believe something like that. Yeah. That's so it's basically when you start denying all the rational defeaters that your belief starts to become irrational. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, um, it's another pet peeve that, that we have where, where some of our fellow atheists go around saying all theists are irrational. Um, and it's, so it, I think there is obviously some, things from theism that are, are clearly false, as you mentioned, when you've got an understanding of, of science and things like that, and you look into things like dating methods. But some people do seem to be so programmed against the science. 
And uh, there was a there was a point um, that that Mark actually brought up, which is along the lines of what I was going to to say. He says, you know, if it was the accumulation of data that eventually convinced you, um, does he think that is the reason for everybody uh, to keep? Uh, to sorry. Uh, is that a good reason for everybody to keep trying to reason with believers, even though, you know, like we were saying before, some people think that they're just irrational, they're not going to listen. But maybe if enough people try in enough different ways to reach young earth creationists, maybe this accumulation of data can also be reached with them. Yeah, no, totally. Like, um, so if you like don't care about this issue then that's fine but if you're like me and you know you can imagine yourself being left behind sort of because it's like if you believe in young earth creationism it's gonna be a lot harder for you to be a part of the modern world like if you want to be involved in any sort of the any of the sort of like collective projects we have like collective like intellectual projects like um it's gonna be hard for you to be a part of that and i don't i'm sure there are plenty of bright people who just uh you know it's, it's not anyone's fault they just ended up in a situation where they uh have a weird set of beliefs because of their like local community and yeah i mean so i feel sort of a responsibility to like talk about it and try to talk people out of it because um i came from that situation and uh i was reasoned out of it and i think that there are probably lots of other um smart people who can be reasoned out of it and it would be better if they were because then they can be a part of uh you know collective intellectual projects if they so choose do you find many say you were never a true young earth creationist you were never a true christian if you no longer are uh yeah they all i mean a lot of them say that like they say that i uh you know was never really saved or was never really a christian or whatever like because they just can't fathom how you would really believe and then like change your mind about that um which that's true i mean anyone who i mean like sometimes i feel that way about atheism i'm just like how does anyone like really grasp the reasons for atheism and then become a theist you know so i think that that's just a thing about human psychology like they just they you know it's very hard to see how you could be wrong sometimes but i don't know but yeah they do say that yeah that's fair enough um James says, uh, is there a point where we should tolerate these alternate hypotheses of natural history in school curricula? Uh, no. I mean, like, it, why would they be tolerated? Like, why would we teach Flat Earth? I, I mean, like, which is more implausible, Flat Earth or Young Earth? I mean, like, it's a... it's So people want to jump and say Flat Earth, but the thing is, like, it's actually kind of close, and I think if you get in the weeds it's pretty hard to figure out which is like, I think it might even be young earth. I'm not even sure. So, I mean, should we teach flat earth too? Like, I don't know, like maybe it should be addressed if enough people believe it. Um, but the whole like teach the controversy thing, like, you know, there, there's only a controversy among like lay people and, you know, people who just don't know anything about this. Like, and I don't say that in like a derogatory or like derisive way. Like, I was one of those people who believed in young earth creationism because I didn't know anything about these subjects. Mm. Like I explicitly did not care about these subjects. You know, I did, I didn't like science when I was in school. Um, yeah. So I'm just saying like there, there is no controversy. It's just, um, yeah. So, I mean, if we should teach young earth creationism then like, why not flat earth creationism? Like, 
Um, maybe these things should be addressed if enough people believe them. But uh, no, I think you should just kind of be honest. Like you should have enough respect for young earth creationists that you tell them how completely insane their beliefs are. Like you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't treat them like babies and like with like kid gloves and stuff. Like, no, you should tell them what the evidence is and how it conflicts with their views. It, you'll have a better conversation if you're straight about it. Yeah, that, that's fair. <laughs> I, I was going to say, actually, when I was out in school in America, there didn't seem to be any sort of religious education classes. Now, my schooling over here, even when I, um, even at Christian schools, I always went to Christian schools and, and until, you know, very late on, um, we had religious education and we learned about all the different religions you know so we would learn about hinduism and so on and so forth but still young earth creationism never came up um certain beliefs i think the 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 belief that people believed that they uh, the earth was flat came up but the young earth thing never actually came up um oh no we've lost him <laughs> we've lost him <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of a bad. There's like a winter storm where I'm at, but is everything coming through fine for you guys? Yeah, seems okay. fine. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, so uh, just to just to recap, I was just talking about how they're uh, you know at school we we actually had religious education. We learned about all the different religions. Um, even flat earth did pop up that, you know, some people did believe in a flat earth, but young earth never actually came up. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I was actually really interested in things like Hinduism at school. It seemed like a very interesting religion to me. But when I, when I went to school in, uh, in America, there, there was nothing like this. There was no, you know, religion uh, uh, taught at school at all. Everybody was sort of like not allowed to look outside of their thing. You know, when you were doing things like geography, it was name the states in America. Um, <laughs> it was all very, this is America. This is how we do things. And, you know, let's keep everyone in a bubble. I even got suspended for saying hell. <laughs> <laughs> And so when they told me that, I went, why the hell are you doing that? So I got myself a second day. <laughs> but it was just like, I, honestly, why the hell is that something to suspend someone for? Like, I don't know. That's weird. That was like a Christian school. Uh, no, no. So this was in, in America. So it was just a standard state school. That's weird. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so you, you weren't allowed to use that word. They saw it as bad, or if not worse than any swear words. You weren't allowed to have... There was this... I suppose in America, there is a, quite a, 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 you know this separation of church and state. And so maybe that's why you don't get any religious education in schools. Um, but I don't yeah. know if that's how it was for you. Um, it, it sounds like you had quite you know a small bubble and you didn't even you weren't even aware that there were these other views. I mean, I didn't go to Christian schools or anything. I just went to public school, um, except for the last few years in Grand Rapids where I went to this weird kind of, like, sort of charter school. Um, but uh, then my siblings had to all go to Christian school because I became an atheist. So we had to, <laughs> parents had to figure out how to, like, keep them in uh, the religion. But, um, yeah, I mean... The school system, yeah, there is a separation of church and state to some extent in the U.S. Um, um, but, you know, religion is just so pervasive and it's like so 
you know, like this Young Earth creationist stuff, the reason why I was so surprised that you'd like never met one is because about half of the Christians in the U.S. are Young Earth creationists. Like, I mean, according to Gallup polling, it's like uh, 40% of Americans, roughly. And, you know, that's 40% of Americans are like they believe in creationism. They think that God created human beings in their current form, like pretty recently. Um, so if you do the math, it's like the majority of Christians in the U.S. So sometimes I just say roughly half to be conservative. But I mean, like roughly half the Christians in the U.S. are young earth creationists. It's like a pretty common thing. Yeah, and actually, Philip's got a relevant question. He says, why is YEC so popular in the USA? Because it's a Christian nation, obviously, and because we actually believe <laughs> God's word, unlike you. But, um, no, I mean, like, like us heathens. I mean, that is how they see it. They're just like, look, we're just like, sometimes they actually say things like, you know, we're not interpreting the, the word of God. You know, we're just like reading it. It's like, well, it's impossible not to <laughs> interpret things like that you're reading. But, um, you know, they just think that they're real Christians, you know. So I'm sure there are like contingent historical factors that explain this. Um, but, you know, I'm not really aware of them. I just know the people who believe it think that like this is what the Bible says, you know, like why would God put. Well, I mean, God wouldn't put untrue things in his word. So, I mean, this is what the Bible says. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um... We've got a, a question from Honestly Atheist, which actually is going to tie into the next section, which uh, says, did you go from YEC to a more progressive form of Christianity or was it straight path to uh, Satanism? <laughs> <laughs> progressive form of Christianity. Um, well, no, because they are real Christians, obviously. It's like you go from like, you know, this the idea of being like a liberal Christian to me um, at the time was like, you just might as well be an atheist. Like, there's no point. Like, you're you've strayed so far from anything resembling like real Christianity. If you want to be like a progressive Christian, <laughs> like that's obviously not real Christianity, as far as I was concerned. You know, at the time, um, you know, and there are like real Christians, you know, who are sincere, who are like progressives, whatever. But um, I'm just saying, like, that's how I saw it, and that's how many Christians see it. You know, like I saw something on Facebook the other day that was like. I don't see how you can be a Christian and vote for Democrats. And it's like, <laughs> I'm just, you know, that's how they feel. But um, uh, no, I would, I can't even imagine my former self, like going to progressive Christianity for any amount of time. Like I said, you might as well be an atheist. Like my um, friends and family would have considered me an atheist, you know? Yeah, I suppose there is that practical atheist take where if you're not in line with the doctrine or not behaving the way they expect you to act for all tents and purposes, you're practically an atheist anyway to, to particular Christians. It was, it was an old slur that was used, um, 100, 200 years ago. Um, and I suppose it's something that is still used today as well. Kinda. Yeah. I mean, cause you must not really believe it. You know, if you're like <laughs> living like a progressive Christian, then like, that's what they're thinking. You know, they're thinking, well, clearly you don't really believe this or else you'd be behaving completely differently. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to hear how, how tied in that is to, <laughs> to, to the zeitgeist. Um, Dijon says uh, that 
he actually deconverted from uh, YEC to a, a moderate form of Christianity and then atheism. Um, he accepts the theory of uh, evolution and rejected the young earth creationism interpretation of the Bible. Um, but actually Otis a little bit further up, didn't get to you say it, said that uh, used to be an old earth creationist and accepted the scientific age of the universe, but still denied evolution. So, I mean, you actually said that it, it, you were an atheist yourself um, and still were unsure about uh, evolution. Yeah. But again, this is this is something very foreign to us because it's it's just something that's taught as part of the curriculum over here. Were, were you not actually taught evolution in school yourself? Nope, I uh, never heard about it. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I just the the picture that was presented to me was one where it's like, hey, you know, there are some like academic weirdos who think this is true, and we have to tell you about it but everyone knows it's not true so like we're just gonna spend like a couple of days kind of like vaguely acknowledging this weird theory that everyone knows isn't true like that was kind of the attitude that it was approached with like um like even in my public school you know like they never mentioned god or anything but it's just like there was no evolution section you know and it's like it was in the textbook we just never did that section and i can remember being in like ninth grade like looking at some diagram or something and just being like, what the fuck? Like, I just remember looking at it like, who believes this? Like, I was just looking at something <laughs> to do with evolution. Like, um, you know, but I just, I had literally no understanding of what it was. Like, I thought, you know, I mean, my only, like, uh, experience with evolution was like Pokemon. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> no. okay, so I guess some people think that's what happened. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, and then I ended up learning about it and, um, you know, reading Richard Dawkins and stuff, um, you know, his biological work, which um, a lot of people who criticize Richard Dawkins just haven't read his evolutionary biology stuff because it's excellent. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed The Selfish Gene, you know, his takes on religion, history and philosophy might be a bit bad, but uh, as you say, some of his biological stuff's really good. Yeah, I just, you know, and it's funny because we're mentioning like Ken Ham and everything because people will be like, oh, you know, Richard Dawkins is, like, so unsophisticated in, like, philosophy or whatever. And, um, you know, like, well, there's Ken Ham on the Christian side, and there's Richard Dawkins on the atheist side. And it's like, okay, so you're making it sound like atheists are, like, geniuses compared to Christians, because those two people are not on the same level. Like, Richard Dawkins is, like, one of the greatest biologists, you know, like, he's, like, he's an amazing public communicator of science. Like, I just feel like a lot of people who criticize Dawkins have not actually read his, like, his actual work, you know, in biology. But, um, anyway, a, a lot of his stuff, you know, I sort of became, like, obsessed with evolutionary biology for a couple years there, like, when I was, like, 19, 20, 21. Um, so, like, not being exposed to it, and then, like, suddenly, uh, you know, reading about it, it was like, you know, I was hearing about it all for the first time, and I was, like, you know, obsessed with it. Um, like. I be I really became interested in science like after I got out of school um and could look into it on my own. Um but yeah, I, I mean uh evolutionary biology is like a, you know, it's not like one of my main interests, but it's like definitely up there. Um yeah, and it probably wouldn't be the case if I had been taught that from like birth, you know, <laughs> like or not from birth, but you know, 
if it was just like another thing I learned in school, like I probably wouldn't care that much. But because I just hadn't, I knew nothing about it until I was like a late teenager. Then when I did find out about it, it was like, you know, it was a, try not to sound too corny about it, but it was like, it was really enlightening. Like it was a spiritually like um, important experience, I guess, just like um, learning about evolutionary biology. Like it was, uh, um, it was almost worth like being indoctrinated. Um, to like find out about evolutionary biology when I was like more capable of appreciating it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds uh, that's a nice way to put it, really, isn't it? Uh, especially seeing you as you've come out of the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, you're, you're over the other side, and you're at a point where you can communicate about your experiences and tell people how you learned about things. But uh, even though you uh, are now someone who's probably a lot more well-versed on the science and you realize how wrong the, the young earth belief was. Do you have any particular fond memories of the time as a young earth creationist? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean like that specifically pertained to young earth creationism. Not really. No. I mean like there were some, uh, like I had a friend who kind of confided in me, like you basically can't be a Christian and believe in evolution. Um, you know, so, I mean, sometimes I'll reference that, but I mean, good memories to do with young earth creation. Not really, no, like it wasn't like, I mean, it was just something that was in the background. It wasn't really something that people even talked about. It was just like, um, taken as, you know, sort of a matter of course, you know, we didn't like very few people. It was kind of weird. It, it's weird because. On the one hand, it was very socially costly to reject young earth creationism, but on the other hand, it was also sort of costly to try to defend it too explicitly, where it's like, okay, we're going to go through like an Answers in Genesis course and like um, show, you, show you all the scientific evidence for young earth creationism. It's like, why would you do that? Like, we, we, have, we have a book from God <laughs> and it says <laughs> the earth is young. Why, why, why are you even bothering with the... Uh, you know, scientific evidence, it almost shows that you don't really like believe God's word. Like what more do you need? Exactly. Like it says it in the Bible. Like, why are you obsessing over the scientific evidence? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've never been in the position where it's just, you know, I've just accepted something like that. I mean, there's lots of things I've accepted as a child. We all do. And I suppose that's the thing growing up in that environment. You've just always accepted it it's it's your your regular beliefs and anyone that suggests anything different you know they're the extraordinary beliefs it's just one yeah. of those things that's it's hard for me to imagine just just accepting something like that yet this is coming from someone who used to believe that they were superman and that they'd stolen he-man's sword but i mean the thing is how how different was your upbringing really i mean like so you're like 10 and, and you're reading like scientific textbooks and like proving the age of the earth. No, you're just accepting it on authority. You're accepting it, the testimony of authority figures in your community. That's how 99% of people form their beliefs about the age of the earth. And, uh, you know, I was no exception to that. It's just, I grew up in a different epistemic community. Yep. Whereas like, you know, other people, they're going through the same exact process that young earth creationists do. They're just accepting the testimony of authorities. It's just that um, there are different authorities in different communities, you know, but like, uh, you know, so you say like, oh, well, how could I, you just accept a belief like that? It's like, 
Well, you did the same thing, and so does everyone else. Like, they accept beliefs about the age of the Earth um, based on testimony of trusted authority figures. That's what 99% of people are doing. That's what all children are doing. Um, yeah, and it's basically just the luck of the draw about, like, you know, where are you? You know, like, which authorities are you listening to? Uh, I'm, I'm completely with you there. I think that's something that, that is frequently overlooked. Um, is the fact that that is how we all learn you know it starts off with our parents we just accept what they say you know mm -hmm. and all those little lies about tooth fairy or you know santa claus or anything like that we just believe it and and you know what with things like the tooth fairy and santa claus there's actually evidence to it for us because <laughs> there's that money under your pillow right and there's the presence in the stocking and there's actually evidence there with you know we're lied to hardcore, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's fun lies and you learn from it and you learn that everybody lies, you know, even if it's a good lie. Um, you guys have, do you guys have kids? Yes. No. Do you tell them about Santa? I, so I let them have fun with it, but I don't confirm or deny. Hmm. I go, well, what do you think about that? I try and get the questions. Obviously not to the girls anyway. The girls are only, um, uh, well, one of them's just four months and the other one's two years old. So they're too young to have these things going on. Um, but with um, with my son, it, it was a case of, so what do you think? Is that what you think it is? So are you sure that's it? Well, how do you know? And it was just trying to ask him the questions and get him to think about it and go, well, I mean, if that's what you think, they do say that you have to believe in Santa for him to bring you presents, I guess. I don't yeah. know. You've seen Elf. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry? Uh, you've seen Elf. The sleigh can't fly unless yeah. people. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I don't, I don't want to spoil it for them or spoil it for the other kids. It is a bit of fun. And, uh, but at the same time, I don't like the fact that, you know, I am lying to them. I don't want to lie to them about much. I try and avoid questions. I don't want to answer until they're a bit older. Um, <laughs> you know, I happily tell them anything, but there are certain ages where kids don't shut up and they go and tell their friends everything. So you have to go, that's a question for when you're older. <laughs> right. Right. What about you? Uh, I don't have any kids. Okay, me neither. But I mean, I would probably t go along with the whole Santa Claus thing because it's kind of fun and, you know, yeah. everybody else does it. And it's something nice at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I mean, like, so me and my wife, like, were arguing about this the other day. If we were, if we're going to have kids, uh, like, she was like, oh, we're not going to, you know, lie to them about Santa. And I was like, the hell we aren't. Of course we're lying to them about Santa. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to I'm going to lie to their face about Santa. I'm going to tell them Santa brings them presents. But like, um, you know, she was really against it. And, um, you know, she's Jewish and everything. So there you go. But no, it, it's funny because like she, <laughs> she didn't, uh, she didn't, sure didn't mean to, it that way. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get to experience the uh, joy of uh, Christmas, you know, and she also has never known the love of Christ. So. <laughs> but um, no, she's, um, and they killed Jesus. But I mean, I, I'm not even bringing that up. But like, it's just that aside. You know, she never experienced the joy of Christmas, and she 
as like a seven year old, like told, um, oh God, I don't even know if I should say that. She told, um, we'll just say she told another seven year old that Santa wasn't real because she was mad that like they got to have fun with Christmas and like she didn't. <laughs> so she ruined Christmas for a seven year old kid who may or may not have been uh, cognitively disabled. But um, so, uh, <laughs> so she, uh, I love my wife, by the way. I think this is all very funny um, in case it doesn't <laughs> come through. But, uh, you know, yeah, 100%. I, I, would, I would lie to my kids about Santa. But, I mean, I, I would respect what any parent wants to do or, like, is or isn't comfortable with. But, yeah, it just seems like a fun thing. But, yeah, I mean, kids will believe whatever you tell them when they're, when they're young. Yeah. And I suppose that's why I think you need to try and give them a diverse education and try and let them come up with some of their ideas on their own as well and then test their ideas ask them questions about their ideas and try and get them to think on them a little bit more um that's a bit bit more difficult though um but i i mean yeah i mean philip just said in the chat he loved the whole santa experience as a kid and i and i think that's something that's something a lot of kids can look back on and really enjoy. I do think there is a problem though when when some um, parents make all the expensive presents come from Santa, and then you get other kids go, "Well, what did I do wrong?" You know, mm. like you get these ones that are getting iPads and you know motorbikes and all of that, and I've got an orange. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, tell Santa hates the poor. I mean, they got to let him know. He's a Republican Santa. <laughs> uh brilliant um were there any other questions i'm sorry i'm just trying to to skip through and see if there's any I move on to uh we could move on to charismatic christianity if you like yeah i think so i was just checking that there weren't any more questions for the or statements about the yac thing i do apologize again anyone if uh if i missed anything you said that was relevant to the conversation um please do your best to tag me um and i'll, I'll bring up your your uh thing uh so yes um so you mentioned that you changed your mind. It was probably a culmination of different things. Um, and then eventually you realized that you, you didn't accept, you know, the young earth. What did you then move into? Um, well, I was like in, I was basically an atheist at that point. I mean, this stuff was never that important to me. Like, um, I, I was more concerned with like philosophical issues to do with like, evil and suffering and hell and free will, like those were kind of the things that I was obsessed with that um, had to do with my deconversion. Um, yeah, I, I mean, a few of the issues, but yeah, the whole evolution stuff, or I mean, the whole issue of evolution, like, um, yeah, it didn't really matter. You know, people would point to, you know, the natural world and they would say, like, how can you be an atheist? Like, you know, isn't the biological world obviously designed? And I would just say, like, uh, it doesn't seem that way to me. I, I don't really know what you mean. Um, but I didn't really have a really, like, I didn't have a story about how this all got here exactly. I was like, well, you know, I'll try to find out, you know. But it's like, it's so funny because as soon as you tell people you're an atheist, like, half the people you tell demand that you explain all of evolutionary biology to them in 10 seconds. <laughs> I, I had that experience so many times. I was like, I don't even know if evolution is true or not, I, I just know that like the Christian God's not real. Like, I, I don't know 
how this biological stuff got here. Okay, but that doesn't mean I can't like reject a bad answer. So I know that this is a bad answer. I don't know what the right answer is, but you know, um, I forgot what question you actually asked me. <laughs> no, so, I think uh, there's a lot of people who think that you can only reject an answer if you know the right answer. Otherwise, you can't kind of reject an answer as bad. You just well, got to kind of remain agnostic on it. And that, I agree, you don't really need to do that. No, I mean, you yeah. can know if something is, is wrong, even if you don't know what's right. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah. It, you, you, they, you they can say the, the same, same thing. Sorry? I was just saying, they do, Christians do the same thing with like the resurrection all the time. Like, I was just trying to watch some resurrection videos because I've always just been so unimpressed with like the apologetics like that support the resurrection. Where I was like, am I like straw manning this? Like, am I like not taking into account like the evidence? Is there actually better evidence than I'm aware of? Um, there isn't. It's actually all really, really bad. It's kind of astounding, actually. But like, I, you know, so they would say sometimes in these videos I was watching, like, um, you need an explanation. It's like, well, I might want one, but I, I really don't need one. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like there were some religious devotees their uh, guru died and then these devotees say that they saw their guru after he had been killed um cool you know like it's like well how do you explain that it's like what are you talking about <laughs> like what do you mean how do i explain that like I, I um it just doesn't matter on some level i mean like i'll try to come up with an explanation but i don't really need one to to reject the one that you're talking about no that's true um <laughs> it is quite an interesting phenomenon, actually. I mean, you can sometimes tell if something is obviously false. The evidence can actually show that something is clearly not true, or at least highly probably not true. Um, but you might not know what the truth then is about this particular topic. You might only have part of the picture. And... Uh, Again, I think it's it's we humans are guilty of this this binary thought. You know, you can't say something's false unless you know what what definitely is true. You, you, you know, it's it's an either or thing. If you if you don't know this, then you have to know that. And you know, I'm, I'm with you there. But so you yeah. say that from from YEC, actually, that's when you 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 became atheist. So then, did you dip back into Christianity after that? No, um, I became an atheist around eighteen nineteen. Um, I rejected young earth creationism around that same time. Um, and, uh, you know, it, for a while there, it was just kind of a haze of contradictory beliefs. You know, like I was in the middle of um, kind of losing the foundation of my worldview. You know, like I, I took Christianity really seriously. Um, I really organized my life around it, you know, everything. Like, um, so it's like it was a very psychologically destabilizing experience to lose my faith. Um, so yeah, during that whole like year, year and a half period, um, from like eighteen, nineteen, like yeah, I'm sure there were a bunch of like contradictory, weird things. Like I said, it was just kind of a haze of contradictory beliefs as I was kind of transitioning into a new chapter of my life, you know. So I don't know the exact order, but um, I lost my belief in young earth creationism and in God like around the same time. So when did you become uh, a charismatic Christian? That was earlier. So, um, so you're a there, charismatic there are, Christian and young earth at the same time. At the same time. I mean, a lot of most charismatics are young earthers. Right. Um, so, 
Yeah, there were a couple things you mentioned during the stream that uh, I think that you said something about God like planting bones to test faith or whatever. Um, that was more I, of a I joke. Heard that. Oh, but... Okay, okay, I wasn't sure. Like, um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure, but yeah, that's I don't know anyone who believed that. But um, there was something else where you were making it sound like I had left one and gone to the other, but like they're pretty interconnected actually. Like these two different things are, um, you know, like charismatics tend to be young earthers and a decent subset of young earthers are charismatics. So like, and it was very funny to see you guys like looking up the Wikipedia page again. It was yeah. just like, you guys don't have like experience with it. Like, it's just so weird to me. Like people just, um, they like, they, they really do occupy distinct positions on the epistemic landscape, you know, like, um, it's just so foreign to me that people wouldn't know young earth creationists and these like charismatic uh, Christians, you know? Um, anyway, I, I don't mean it as like a, like a knock against you. It's just like, it's always a shock when you find out that like, you know, things that were so normal to you part, you think everyone knows about this stuff, you yeah. know, and then you like come across people and then they're just like, who are these weird, what is this weird group of Christians? But um, yeah, this is like a, more of a minority thing for sure. But it's like, Charismatic Christianity is like, you know, Holy Spirit filled kind of like speaking in tongues, um, faith healing, like hours long worship sessions, like highly emotionally charged, um, like really spiritual practice where it's like um, God is still active today. Yeah, he gave us this like perfect inerrant word, which you should take literally. Um, and God will return soon. We're clearly in the end times. Um, but yeah, it's like, a, it's a set of like, set of beliefs and like a characterized by, um, a certain type of practice that if you hadn't been exposed to, it would probably be pretty shocking and jarring, you know, to see people running around screaming gibberish and, um, putting their <laughs> hand on you and like prophesying over you. And, um, it's, uh, are they, are it, they it can the be, are they the Christians where you quite often see the videos um, of them all dancing around and all sort of jiggering yeah. and all that sort exactly. of stuff? Exactly, yes. Because uh, they quite often lay like a drum and bass track over that sort of thing. And it's like, really, it goes in time, you know? So there you go, drum and bass, devil's music. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, we don't really have anything like that over here. It, it, again, we, we probably have uh, Catholicism. Um, Protestants and uh, weak Protestants, as in Church of England, and I'd say the mo majority of people are Church of England. It's it's basically a Protestant light, if you will. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. You generally don't have much. Though you might have small communities, and obviously there are different faiths. There's a lot of different faiths, and they're different things. But like when you're thinking about the big religions in the UK, I'd say apart from certain towns, which you know might have a, a, a big, uh, you know, big Muslim towns or, or big Hindu towns, generally that is what what you'll have. Um, I mean, is that is that sort of what it's like in in Wales as well for you, Dave? Yeah, um, we're getting a growing Muslim population, um, but our Christian population has pretty much dwindled to nothing. If you go to most villages, there's at least two chapels um, of two different, like, uh, 
a C of E chapel and a Presbyterian chapel, say. But yeah, it's there's not really very much here anymore. No. Uh, and and obviously it goes through of all, all of our schools. I mean, there's we don't have the same sort of separation of church and state like you do over there. Yet there's clearly this bias that you were talking about in your schools, where they were like, "Oh yeah, nobody really believes in that evolution stuff." <laughs> Um, whereas it was part of our curriculum, so they had to teach it, you know, and they taught it well. Um, probably why there's a lot less uh, Christians than there used to be in the UK. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's why they don't teach it in some American schools. Mm-hmm. So um, how long were you a charismatic Christian for? Um well, really quick, just about the evolution thing, like evolution absolutely is in conflict with Christianity. Like there's no getting around that for several reasons. Like for one, um, of course, you don't have to take the Bible literally. That's not what I mean. But I'm saying like um, evolutionary like history. Provides, yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that like evolutionary history provides us with um, a really strong argument from evil, you know, like the absolute cruelty of the system with which we came about is, uh, or the system by which we came about is, um, um, pretty apparent, you know, like it seems weird that a perfectly loving God would choose that way to bring about his creation because it's, um, it involves so much more suffering for hundreds of millions of years, you know, where God could have just specially created us, could have avoided a lot of pointless suffering. Um, so like evolution is, um, like a, a pretty like indifferent, pitiless, um sometimes cruel seeming um process but also it's like you know we don't really know of any other way that we could have gotten here um naturalistically other than evolution right but like god could have specially created us you know he could have intelligently designed us it's that's not how things apparently happened if god does exist but um yeah so it's like look it is in conflict with taking the bible literally um it does kind of knock humans off their pedestal. It makes us like a part of nature, like really integrates us with the biological world. That doesn't seem like the vibes are off, as I've said it sometimes with like evolution and Christianity. They just don't really like gel mm-hmm. um, because evolution means that like it, it really, I mean, I find it kind of um, enlightening, where, you know, where I think about how I'm a part of the natural world. I'm like, um, you know, there's like this interrelatedness of of the biological and physical world. Um, But it does kind of mean that we're not like separate from the natural world, like Christianity seems to teach. Um, You know, it's not a major thing. It's just the vibes are off. But, you know, um, evolution, you know, it it, it does seem to be like, it it does seem to yield this like really good argument from evil and all those other reasons. Like evolution is in conflict with, Christianity like it it doesn't provide like a knockdown proof against Christianity but like even if you're not a young earth creationist you're not just like off scot-free like there are still theological things that you need to iron out if you want to be a Christian one of these phony liberal Christians like (laughs) you believe in evolution you know yeah I suppose that's why uh, I mean when we were doing the stream the 10 questions uh, a couple of people did mention they didn't like arguments from biology or arguments from evolution. Um, Found out afterwards one of them was a biblical literalist, which is one of the main reasons they didn't like those those arguments. Um, And I I would say that, you know, evolution doesn't 
prove a God doesn't exist and it doesn't necessarily prove that the Christian God doesn't exist. It just, I've always felt that it doesn't work as described, as you mentioned, those, those evolutionary evils, um, there would be a better way to do it. But I do think that if you take the, the Bible as a metaphor within, within Genesis, I mean, it, it, I can't even remember the, the verses now, but there's, there's the bits where he's calling life forth and he doesn't specify things exactly. He just says, you know, come forward, you know, the, the plants and come forward this and come forward that. You could take that as a metaphorical approach of him bringing all different life forth over time and allowing evolution to develop but like you say it's not exactly the kindest way for life to evolve um i've also heard some say that they felt that there was that god did you know allowed outside of the garden of eden life evolved normally but inside the garden of eden humans were created like that and then once sin <laughs> happened you know original sin that's at the point when evolution then took over for the rest of humans. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, like, it, it's funny because obviously there's no evidence for that, but like, you know, they're just trying to square their theology with evolutionary history because the fall is probably one of the trickier things. Like, it's a whole subdiscipline in theology where it's like, how do you try to integrate the fall, which is really theologically important? You can't just get rid of it um, with like, how we know the world is from from like you know the modern state of biology and, and geology and chemistry and so on um you know it's not an easy question no i'd agree i mean that's one of the things i mean actually icarus has just said something that i've pointed to uh if you're being strict with your 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 theology and evolution evolution would indicate that there's no adam and eve and then for there's no original sin so therefore there was no jesus or no need for jesus because i do think there was a jesus regardless of uh, of uh, of that but you know the the god's son you know washing the sins of mankind is is what it sort of negates there um that's a really short version of the overall argument so did you enjoy your time as a charismatic christian uh yeah so that one was a little more fun because um you know you got to speak in tongues i mean i never did that i never figured out how to do it um but uh yeah that was really interesting because i didn't really buy it when i went into it you know i was like um I was skeptical, you know, but I was intrigued because it's like, you know, there's all this weird stuff going on. And like, um, it, it sort of seemed like evidence in some sense that they were right. Because it's like, they say that the Holy Spirit's active in their communities. And it's like, well, look, they're doing all this weird shit. They're like, you know, tongues, <laughs> like they're engaging in very unusual behavior. So like, something interesting is going on. Like, and um you know sociologically it's an interesting phenomenon like there's this book um that i have to mention by tanya lerman it's called when god talks back and she went in as an anthropologist like and just kind of studied these charismatics in america and um wrote about them like they were uh, <laughs> like a tribe in the amazon basically <laughs> and it was just so surreal to read that book like just a year or two after i deconverted and um 
just seeing like myself and my friends and family described in this book that is like an anthropological text, but it's like, it's so accurate, you know, like she's, um, she did an amazing job with that book. It's called When God Talks Back. When God um, Talks Back. Yeah. It's, so if you want to learn more about these people, it's like, um, that was a really good one. But uh, yeah, she, um, so I felt like an anthropologist too, though, sometimes, because I like, I was a Christian, but I didn't really believe in like the legitimacy of what they were doing. But my parents got into it when I was like 14 or so. And um, did they talk in tongues? Yeah, they do. Um, still. And uh, yeah, they still do. It's like there's a private like prayer language and then you might do it publicly for other people to interpret. Um, but it's like they do have like private like tongue speaking prayer language stuff. They um, they go to a place called Bethel Church in California. And um, that's where the band Jesus Culture came out of, if you've heard of them. But they uh, they um, I was just there recently visiting them and this guy, Chris Cruz, who inspired a whole episode about miracle claims because he's, uh, you know, so Bethel's like a charismatic church is why I'm bringing it up. So like he mentions that, you know, healing miracles are happening all over the place. He's healing people left and right. He walks into the supermarket. He prays over a lady with hearing aids. She takes out the hearing aids and she can hear again. He takes a picture and posts it on his Instagram. Um, like he's just doing this all day, every day. And it's like, this is just like, what they do. They lay hands on people, they heal them. Never amputees for some reason. Huh. It's weird. But like <laughs> they um they heal everything that you can't measure. <laughs> um and uh or might have happened anyway. But um, you know, cancer goes into remission, back pain goes away, like degrees of functionality are restored, that sort of thing. So like um yeah, my whole family's still into this. Um and I I sort of bought into it for a little while. Like I looked into it my peer groups became pretty charismatic. Like, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I was a part of it for a while. I, I was always at kind of at arm's length, but, um, it was a formative, you know, formative time in my life, you know, like all the, and like, I didn't get so deep that we were like drinking poison and handling snakes and stuff, but like we, we did acknowledge that people who did that were kind of like better than we were like, we were like, okay, I'm afraid to do that, but um, I would be better if I did. It says in Mark that you should do that. <laughs> you won't be harmed if you if you do it. So, um, didn't quite get to like the snake handling, like poison drinking level, but we talked about it. You know, we thought that that was a uh, a uh, thing that would make us kind of like more legit. You know, as Christians, like. Um, by the way, even that portion, of, that portion in Mark where it says that was probably not even a part of the original manuscript, like there's this kind of rough grammatical transition and it's just, it's just a weird, it clearly was tacked on like to the original manuscript anyway. So that part that says all that stuff probably wasn't even in the original, but anyway, um, uh, they, I, I'm trying to, I, I just wish I could just show you cause it's so bizarre if you've never seen it. Like you mentioned the videos of, you know, people um you know just kind of like on the floor doing that and stuff so it's like yeah that was like but that's like entry level is what i'm saying like <laughs> you're like that's just standard that's like you know you walk in the door that's happening 10 minutes later like you know i wish i could just show you some of the really crazy stuff but you know my peer groups kind of shifted that way i had a girlfriend who was like a charismatic um you know spoken tongues and stuff and like had these visions and whatnot um but uh 
you know, it really just kind of, it did kind of open me up to spiritual practice in a way that would have been hard without those experiences. Like, because when you're kind of focusing on, you know, letting the Holy Spirit take over or just connecting with God or whatever, just on an emotional, in this highly emotionally charged way, like, you, um, you do discover interesting things about spiritual life and your own consciousness and stuff like that. That's part of why when I first deconverted, you know, Sam Harris kind of really spoke to me because he also was into a lot of weird spiritual stuff, um, more like on the Eastern side of things. But um, the Christian mystic side of things is also very interesting, you know, and like, I, you know, I'm kind of glad that I was there for a couple of years. Um, yeah, because like it, 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 I think made me a more like spiritually healthy and open person, ultimately like capable of uh, having transcended experiences, I guess, or being open to them um, in a way that I just like couldn't have been without those years of, you know, multiple times a week being in these like three or four hour long like services and, um, you know, like it, it does have an effect on you. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to mention though is that People see that stuff from the outside, and it's a dead giveaway that you've never been a part of it if you think everyone is just, like, faking it. They're not faking it, okay? Like, I'm sure there are, like, righteous gemstones, people, you know, like, uh, at the higher levels, like, the ones who are really making money, like, yeah, I'm sure they're faking it on some level, but the people, like, the people who you'll encounter, um, they're not faking it. This is legit. This is something that's really happening to them. Um, and... So, for instance, you know, this is a practical consequence of that. Um, it'll make you realize that fraud is not always the best explanation or that like lying is not always the best explanation for some of these religious things. So, for instance, Joseph Smith came out of the burned over district in New York. He was involved in this kind of charismatic, uh, you know, um, uh, revival cauldron <laughs> like in, it, that was going on at that time. And, you know, he so it's like you know christianity there's folk magic there's all this charismatic stuff going on and it it just kind of has made me doubt the idea that like fraud is the best explanation of what joseph smith was up to i think it's totally plausible that he really believed most of what he said um you know like so i just kind of always cringe when people are like oh joseph smith was a fraud like these people are liars you know it's just like it's just not true. It's a dead giveaway that you've never been a part of this kind of like charismatic thing because they're not lying. They're not faking it. Not fraud. That's I mean, I'm sure it's there sometimes, but it's really not the best explanation. I've always wondered if that sort of thing, like the talking in, in tongues and the over being overcome with um uh euphoria and things like that, uh yeah. are akin to sort of like uh, almost group hypnosis you know everybody gets on the sort of same wavelength and feels a certain way and you vibe off of each other um i mean i've not been in that certain uh, circumstance but i've been in places where there's been this positive vibe and you're all fe feeding off of each other and it's it's that sort of like good thing that it it, it passed around all of you and if there's these additional beliefs included where you might talk in tongues, you might feel the Holy Spirit and you are going to feel good, maybe it's just that exemplified. Everybody's sort of expecting it to happen and they will the feelings into themselves. Yeah, like, I mean, it's so interesting psychologically and sociolog sociologically if you think that, like, 
you know, ultimately their story about what's happening is not true. Like, and there are, it doesn't even make you an atheist because a lot of Christians don't buy into that shit. Like they look at it and they're like, that's weird. Um, that's, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, and, uh, so if you think that the charismatic story about what's happening isn't right, it almost becomes more interesting because it's like, wait, then what is happening? Like, what is going on? Like, um, you know, just psychologically. And that's part of why I loved that book so much when God talks back, because she just kind of analyzes it, you know, objectively. But um, yeah, once you become a naturalist, it's almost like some of this stuff becomes, some of this religious stuff becomes more interesting because the story about it has to, uh, has to change. It's not as straightforward as like, well, the Holy Spirit showed up and he's, um, you know, doing, doing, he's involved. Like, that's why things are different. That's why people are behaving differently. Um, once you take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, you know, it's kind of more interesting what's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like, yeah, it's exactly what you say, but some of that is um, kind of kindled by like the music, you know, like it's that like the charismatic stuff is um, they produce some pretty fun music. Like there, it's funny because like I was involved in like the white version of it, but like the black version of charismatic stuff is like um also very fun <laughs> is that um, sort of like the gospel style music or? yeah yeah right yeah oh yeah yeah this is more standard among like um among like black people in america like this sort of christianity it's sort of like a minority among white people and it's like pretty common among black people like black christians like this is a way more dominant form like this kind of um, Pentecostal style stuff is is more common in the black Christian community than the white Christian community. But um, yeah, the music is fun, and the music has a lot to do with these kind of like spiritual experiences that people have. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, <laughs> music's one of those things. Again, it goes into the sort of hypnotic lines uh, uh, as well. Uh, all the different sound waves and everything like that. And again, it brings people together. It gets people thinking along the same lines and yeah. Um, it's an art form. I mean, like the, the worship leaders are like really talented at creating like the environment where people can have spiritual experiences. Like it's a, like, it's a talent. Like you're, you can be better or worse at like generating these sort of like transcendent spiritual experiences in people as a worship leader. So, you know, when I was, had become an atheist, I was still leading worship for a while because you don't just be like, uh, okay, I'm out. Um, you know, sorry about that, everyone. Like, you know, you're just kind of because of inertia doing the same things for a while. And, um, so I was an atheist, like leading worship. And then I would be up there on stage being like, oh, fuck Jesus, but like trying to see like, you know, cause obviously if it works the way they say it works, that should really screw things up. You know, if I'm like, saying things like that, like on stage, you know, like just barely backed away from the microphone, like the Holy Spirit knows about that, you know, God knows about that. So it's like, you know, shouldn't my heart and like what I'm doing as a worship leader, shouldn't that influence things? But stuff like that, you know, no matter what I was thinking, no matter what I was saying, no matter how I felt, didn't change anything. But if I play a wrong note on purpose, then you can see that that does have an effect, like in the crowd, like, so, uh, you know, trying to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, no effect. Um, playing a G sharp in a song in the key of G, you know, hands start going down. People stop uh, connecting with the Holy Spirit so much. So, you know, yeah, I would just kind of like do these little things to like see like, does this work the way they say it works? Or 
is there like a more natural explanation, like having more to do with music and lights and crowd psychology and, and that sort of thing? That's amazing. Is there is there anything about the, the, the music and stuff like that in, in her book that you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Yeah. There it's is. been a long time since I read that book, but um, yeah, I, I believe there is. Yeah. I mean, she, she could have just done a whole chapter on you. Yeah, I was watching this guy. Occasionally he'd play a wrong note. <laughs> and you'd see it fuck everyone up. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because people like have their hands in the air and you play a wrong note and like you see hands go down. <laughs> it's That's like, amazing. oh. <laughs> um, so uh, there's a question from Daniel. He says, um, because you mentioned your wife was uh, a Jew, he, he asks, is, is your wife a theist? Because his is Catholic and it leads to some interesting conversations, but she's become less orthodox maybe and more interested in the community aspects of it. Um, well, you know, she's not a theist. Um, her people are responsible for killing God and I never let her forget that. But like, <laughs> not a theist. Um, I'm not a theist, so it kind of is fine. Like, when we met, um, she was kind of like wishy-washy on things anyway, and then she was kind of a deist for a while. And I went from I went straight from like young Earth creationist to atheist, and then she kind of took a more rational, like gradual path of like you know, and um, you know me kind of being there and like talking about it all the time, like led her eventually to the same thing. But um, she's not really interested in it to the extent that I am. Um, you know, she like humors me. She lets me talk at her about philosophy, um, and philosophy of religion and stuff, but she doesn't really like read about it or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's just kind of like a casual naturalist. Like she's increasingly into like paganism and stuff like that. Um, you know, sort of like more naturalistic seeming forms of religion, that sort of thing. Um, but uh but yeah i mean she's i guess a secular jew yeah yeah so would you say that she still is cultural in the in that regard she she'll may, maybe go to ceremonies and things like that with her family no. no yeah i mean like if if her fam well the thing is her family currently lives in texas um so not a lot of uh not a lot of synagogues out there in the rural texas <laughs> but um, they uh yeah i mean she would go if they wanted her to go or if they went. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think she does feel like some connection to it, but she doesn't like, she doesn't like uh, keep kosher or like do any of the rituals or like, you know, she doesn't do any of that stuff. And um, just, sorry, just to loop back around to the, the, the music point. Um, what what actual sort of music? I mean, if it was it just like you know the American rock and roll sort of stuff that that you'd be playing on stage or uh, uh, with a with a obviously a, a godly theme or, or or what? I'm trying to imagine the sort of stuff you like, play. Um, so I mentioned Jesus Culture earlier. Um, Hillsong United is another good example. But if you don't know those bands, just imagine Coldplay and U2 like together. Like it's that kind of like sort of ambient like sort of vaguely melancholic um yeah like it, yeah it's cold playing you two like i don't really know how to put it into words exactly but like that's the vibe like modern worship music um for probably 15 years now has sounded like it's basically all just been a cold play ripoff um, <laughs> basically what they're doing but that's the vibe they go for and every song is 15 minutes long and 
stuff like that. So, fair. Okay, I can I can sort of uh, imagine what that's like. It's not a joke, by the way. It's literally every song is like ten, fifteen minutes long. Yeah, there was that period of time in in UK music where every b- new band that came out just sounded like Coldplay, like, <laughs> and it was just like, oh. <laughs> Uh, there was even actually that that uh, there was a comedy song about it, which was "Everything Sounds Like Coldplay Now." <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I can imagine that that the music sort of went that way. Uh, <laughs> quite uh, different to 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 the black community then, who obviously had them all like upbeat gospel music getting everyone together um i could almost imagine that giving people more of the uh, the vibe um than obviously something a bit more down tempo but obviously i haven't been in the situation i haven't been in either of those churches i've just got my imagination and clearly i'm wrong because as you said there's there's loads of it going on anyway yeah i mean the thing is about like the thing with the cold play stuff is like there are these like big moments like in the song, like somewhere in the middle, near the end or whatever. And it really pays off because there was a long, you know, build up to it or whatever. So it's like, um, yeah, it'll be like seven minutes of like kind of down tempo stuff or whatever. But the songs are like really, really repetitive. So it's like you're kind of like meditating on this one phrase or this one verse over and over and over again. And then the music builds up. And then there's just like all this, you know, explosion and eruption. And then it's like the the words that you're saying are more meaningful to you because you're not just saying them once and then you like move on. Like you've been repeating them like a chant almost for like 10 minutes. So it's like it really like, you know, and like this has been independently discovered in all kinds of spiritual practices. Like the repetitive kind of like repetition is important. Like the repetitive chants can lead you to like higher states. but yeah, it's like it, it. There's a payoff, you know. Like it is kind of like down tempo or whatever, but um, it's really repetitive. But it's like builds up, you know. Yeah, fair. Uh, another question's just come in from uh, Philip. He's said, uh, "Is there tension in the family because of your deconversion?" Because uh, he's heard some stories from USA about that stuff, and it's been very disheartening. Oh. I hope it hasn't been too disheartening because things are fine now. I mean, like, there there was a rough year when it first happened. Um, you know, I mean, they thought I might be, like, going to hell, you know? Like, they th- they thought I'm going to be burned alive for uh, for eternity, you know? So there's no, you know, that sucks. Um, uh, but um, I don't know what they tell themselves now at this point, whether I, like, was saved and I'm like you know, once saved, always saved, whatever. Or if I never was saved, I have no idea. Um, but no, I'm on good terms with them. And I have been like, you know, I mean, I have a great relationship with my family. Um, they decided that they would rather have a relationship with me than take some kind of principled stand. Um, you know, they didn't disown me or anything. Yeah. So I'm very, very lucky in that regard. Um, but yeah, I have great parents. I have a great family. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I love them. Um, things are fine. Like, but there was a really rough like year, you know, because there's no getting around it. And just the way I am, it was the only thing I could talk about for a while. I mean, I had to start a podcast because I talked about it so much that um, 
I was driving everyone in my life insane. So I had to like bring it to the internet. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, so before I was really doing this, it's like, I just was constantly annoying everyone in my uh, life about this. So, and it's like, I was pretty antagonistic about it. I was like very like new atheisty about it. Like, um, I, uh, really didn't like pull many punches and I was not tactful about it at all. Um, so, you know, they really did like meet me halfway, but they didn't want to talk about it is the thing like, which might've been good. Um, I don't know, but I'm just saying that it, it was rough and some of that was unavoidable, but some of it was my fault because I was like way too aggressive about it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is though. I mean, everything's fine now. It was a rough year or two. I think that's quite a natural part of deconversion, though, as well, isn't it? That that anger at the things that you used to believe and that you see other people still believing, and you're like, how can you believe that? Um, I, yes, but I felt like I had been, like, lied to, and, like, that's where a lot of the anger was coming from. Um, I felt like I had been misled, like, on many different fronts, because it's like, you know, I mean, they were adults, like a lot of the people in my life, you know, they're religious authorities. And I'm like, you knew that, like, there was all this, all these conversations going on, like all these objections to things that are in the Bible or like, you know, these problems that have to do with like free will and the afterlife and hiddenness. And it's like, you're like aware of some of these things. You, you never talked about this with me. Like, um, you've you knew that there are like maybe some good reasons not to be a christian you like never told me about this like you know i felt like i'd been kind of lied to and uh misled and then you start telling people like hey um you're being lied to and misled you know like you kind of can't help it um but part of it is uh you know i mean look i was raised evangelical so no matter what beliefs i have i'm going to be kind of evangelical about them <laughs> Sorry, Dave, I think you wanted to say something there. I, I cut you off before you said it. That's right. I, I was just going to go back to the relationship being a bit rough. I, I suppose in some senses to the family, it's not just rejecting the religion. You're kind of rejecting them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they. T I mean, that's something I wish I could have told my former self is just like, there's no way they're not going to take this as a personal rejection. You know, like it's impossible. It doesn't matter how many times you spell it out that at the end of the day, you just have a different opinion about how the world is, about how the universe works. That's basically what it comes down to. They're going to take it as a personal rejection. Um, so you need to like be mindful of that. And I was not mindful of that. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's youth in it. You know what I mean? You're young. You've got this new experience, this new outlook. You want to kind of share it and you want to get that anger out. Like you said, you felt you've been lied to. So it's well, I was the only atheist. It's not like there was a model for this. Like, there were no other atheists I knew, like, when I was having doubts and, and deconverting and stuff. Like, um, everyone I knew eventually was, like, from the internet. But I was really on my own, you know, like, um, had no model to go off, the, you know, like, there was, I didn't know any other atheists. There were no other, like, family friends or, or anyone. Like, I, I, it was, I was completely on my own on this. Yeah, that makes it even harder. Yeah, because you are completely alone. Yeah, it was uncharted territory. Yeah. 
And, and and that's why you were talking to everybody around you about it as well, because you had no one else to talk to. <laughs> like you only had these people here who who were not atheists. Um, so I, I do think that we all uh, who have gone through deconversion have gone through a little bit of a, a new atheist phase. Um, I think maybe some people who have always been an atheist might not have that that new atheist phase. Um, although even still, there are some that you talk to on, on the internet that say they've always been an atheist and they, they're in that phase right now. And I think maybe that's because they see other atheists in that phase and have just got on the bandwagon. Um, they've been told to keep quiet for so long that now that they can speak out, they're getting it all out basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to like, I mean, so it was a phase for me, but that doesn't mean that like it's a phase and you grow out of it. Like, I don't want to like dismiss the, uh, you know, the experiences of these other atheists who like they are a lot more like anti theistic or they're a lot more like activist oriented. Um, that's probably because of, you know, their unique position on the epistemic landscape. And it's like they've probably had different experiences where it's like, they're maybe more acquainted with the harm of religion, you know, like, um, so I don't really hold it against those people who are, and I, like, I try and like, um, try not to refer to it as like a phase or something. Cause I don't want it to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm like somehow more mature or like farther along or something like that. A moment, um, but, a period in life, you know, that's, uh, that's exactly. what I took it to you, to me. Right. No. Um, but it's like, uh, for me, it was a phase. Like it was like something that I went through when I didn't know very much about this topic, and then as I knew more, like I did start to calm down. And like a, another reason why I started to calm down, though, is because you know I was more I'm farther and farther away from the harmful effects of religion because I'm not really around it anymore, you know. But like when I first deconverted, I was like acutely aware of some of the harmful. Um, harmful uh, aspects of religion so you know was a lot like angrier and and stuff like that and it felt more justified um but not as much now because you know i'm not really around it as much like it, it is just kind of an out of sight out of mind thing so it's like you know i try not to hold it against the people who are pretty aggressive and and rude and and stuff like that you know or maybe not that philosophically um you know I mean, I guess there's no way of putting it kindly. Like some of these people are like philosophically illiterate. Like they do not know anything about just basic stuff in philosophy, but like they're more oriented towards like the activist side. And like, I totally think there's a place for that. You know, it's just not really what I've been up to for the last few years. Yeah, that's fair enough. So is there anything else that you think we should be aware of from the charismatic Christian Christianity? Um, well, if you're arguing against charismatic Christianity, um, it's the same as, uh, you know, arguing against Catholicism versus Mormonism or, you know, Protestantism versus Islam. Like there are arguments that will work, um, more or less depending on which form of Christianity you're talking about. So if you want to make an argument about why doesn't God heal amputees, um, that's not really going to work for you know, a more conservative Christian um, who, like, I mean, their practice is conservative and, like, they don't think God is really performing healing miracles at all um, versus 
these like more charismatic types who think God's performing healing miracles left and right. You know, he's doing them all the time and they're fantastic evidence. You know, like, like Chris Cruz said at uh, Bethel, he goes, um, this is all impossible by the way. Like he's like talking about all the healings that he's performing. He's like, this is all impossible by the way. It's like, okay. So just to like translate that to, um, you know, like a sort of like more Bayesian form, the probability of this happening on naturalism is zero because it's impossible. And the probability of this happening on, you know, Christian theism or whatever is like uh, pretty non-negligible, you know. So, like, according to him, this is an incredible evidence for Christianity, you know, um, basically proves Christianity is true and proves us atheists all to be, you know, just complete fools. So, like, we um, so then with someone like that, you can make this sort of argument of like, why doesn't God heal amputees? Because you're you're acknowledging that. He's performing miracles, he's performing healing miracles, and he's performing healing miracles that should convince any rational person that he exists. You know, it's almost like he's effectively not even hidden in, in these people's worlds, you know? Mm. So, I'm saying, I only say that to be like, look, the arguments that are going to work for charismatic Christians are like, give them pause or make them think, oh, I might be wrong, that actually does make sense, are just completely different than what you would make to someone who doesn't even try to make an argument for miracles or something like that. So you just have to know your audience, I guess. So, you know, when I'm making arguments, they tend to be tailored towards uh, what some people might consider like low hanging fruit or like an easy target. And it's like, well, you know, this is, this is an accurate description of a vast number of Christians and most of the ones that I know. So, and it's the kind of Christian I was. So obviously I'm going to want to, um, argue against that form of Christianity for the same reason, um, you know, that anyone that like someone who grew up Muslim is going to want to argue against Islam, you know, so it's like, uh, anyway, just different forms of Christianity. Uh, you're going to want like different lines of attack, I guess. And this sort of charismatic young earth creationist line of attack, it's like, um, different options are available to you. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's it's maybe it's low hanging fruit, but you know it's sometimes it can be fun. You're playing to your strengths, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's, it's if I were to argue against Mormonism, it would be difficult because I don't even understand like a ton of Mormon doctrine, you know, theology. So it's like um, I'm not best equipped to even do that, you know. But and you might end up strawmanning them exactly without even meaning to, and it's like you know. Um, just because something is definitely wrong, like young earth creationism, like just because it's, you know, just complete bullshit, that doesn't mean it's easy to argue against. Like if you, you need to know about their specific bullshit, like if you're going to argue about like against them, you have to know how their worldview actually works on some level. Just because they're really, really wrong um, doesn't mean it's going to be easy to argue against. Like, um, yeah, like just being right is is not enough, and uh, and I would also say this is one last piece of advice because I want people to debate young earth creationists. Like I want them to try to reason with them. Like yeah, Ken Ham's not going to change his mind, obviously, um, because he's you know he's got a whole career doing this and he's the head of a, an extremely well funded organization. Like he's in too deep. But like there are people in the audience who will hear you. And here's something that doesn't work: just invoking your credentials. That is not going to work. Okay, so don't do that. Um, especially in this climate, like, um, p 
people don't trust experts, like especially not people in that audience. Like they don't trust experts. They don't care that you have a PhD from whatever university. If anything, that makes you suspect. Like you shouldn't tell like you cannot just say like, oh, you're just some, you know, uh, Midwestern mom or whatever. And like, I'm a PhD from whatever university that is not going to work. That's going to totally backfire. Um, so I think you should debate people, but like you have to try to actually engage on like a, a rational level. You can't just invoke authority and credentials and stuff. Um, in fact, guess what? They want you to do that. That's the plan sometimes because they know that the audience will hate that, you know? Yeah. Um, you just cast doubts on it and disperse it. Yeah. Well, they, here's the thing that a lot of these like highly educated people don't realize they hate you. Okay. Like they do not care that you have credentials. All right. So like, don't invoke them, <laughs> but do debate these people. But, um, you know, just try to learn about their worldview and argue against it on a rational level. Don't just like say, Oh, every scientist thinks you're wrong. And I have a PhD and who are you? And you know, that sort of thing. In some respects, it's about the rapport. You know, it's like sales. People don't buy the product, they buy the person. So mm -hmm. the person that spent the time having a good conversation, building the rapport and over time, you know, they got them to buy this completely useless piece of crap. I mean, it might not always be a completely useless piece of crap, but, you know, when you're talking about sales, they're buying the person and it just happens to be that this person is presenting this product that you're paying money for. And I think some of that is the same with discussions that you can have about religion. And I mean, you even see it within the atheist community where people do reject people who do have the credentials you know i mean we atheists often say that we we're the smart rational ones and that we we want the, the evidence and we want proof and we want this but when it comes down to it we still buy the charismatic arguments from the charismatic more charismatic atheists or the ones that appeal to us on a certain level over the actual evidential well, over the evidence, should I say? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a it's a thing with human psychology. It's not specific to um to any like religious demographic, but but yeah, I mean, I think that people should debate young Earth creationists, and I think that charismatic Christianity is a sociologically interesting phenomenon, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, you know, I um, it, it is like in some ways, it's it's uniquely harmful, I guess. Um. I don't want to like romanticize it. I'm kind of looking at it with like rose colored glasses in some sense, but like, you know, that I can remember just being ex really, really angry, you know, when I was there, like on a more regular basis, you know, cause you, some of the stuff that goes on there is like straight up evil. Like they, um, cause they, they really believe that they can heal people, you know? And like, that's kind of dangerous in, in some contexts. Um, like I saw a video that was kind of heartbreaking. Um, last time I was there like a year ago, where um at bethel where they were talking about how like oh we'll heal your autistic kid you know we'll like pray over them and like this was like a promo video this wasn't like an offhand comment you know um yeah that was really upsetting for me like i was like gripping my seat and i was like this is evil like i was like very upset when i was seeing that particular um you know and they claim they do it they claim they heal autistic kids yeah that, that's i think that's kind of one good thing about the c of v it kind of puts all that stuff outside and outside of the Christian culture for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 And actually you hear a lot about the faith healing as well. Don't you? The people letting their kids die because 
uh, the, the, the church is going to heal them, praying is going to work, so on and so forth. We don't need medicine. Um, you hear a lot of, especially in America, uh, a lot of the anti-vaxxers happen to also be religious and, you know, Jesus will protect me. I, it, God's given us an immune system. That's what it's for. Um, and I, I assume this is tied into to a lot of what you're talking about with with the faith healing and stuff like that as well. Um, but are there any actual like hangups you have from your time in the church? Like, uh, uh, do you sometimes find yourself praying or, or do any other habits that you might have had when you were religious, even though you don't believe you just realize you're suddenly doing it? Um, I'm sure there's stuff that I'm like not cognizant of, like, but um, no, I never pray. Like, I mean, I guess I do sometimes, like, um, in like really desperate situations, um, like, uh, yeah, in, in really um, tight spots. Sometimes I'll like uh, make a deal with God. I'm just like, if there's a God, um, you know, because like I, I'm kind of a hypochondriac, you know, like I uh, freak out sometimes about um like just little pains and stuff like that so yeah sometimes i i will be like i will start like uh <laughs> making deals with god but like um you know not really anything too spectacular there it's just kind of like when you're in pain you're just like uh when you're like genuinely like fearful and you think you're dying like you convince yourself like oh yeah i'm about to die for sure um you know because that does happen um like somewhat frequently with me it's like these like sort of panic attacks that'll get out of control with like health stuff. Um, once in a while, yeah, I guess I will be like, um, if there's a God, like, please, you know, uh, whatever. Um, but no, I mean, with actually changing my behavior, I mean, I guess it did, it has given me like a different perspective than a lot of other people. Um, maybe empathize more with, uh, people who, reject like seemingly pretty rock solid like scientific data and that sort of thing i, I don't know um but yeah there are, there are positive things like i mentioned um like the spiritual practice thing like the the whole being around sort of you know um charismatic christianity and like mysticism and stuff like that like it did kind of open me up to spiritual practice in general um and that's carried over you know like in my life as a naturalist you know so um yeah it, it had like i said i'm probably not aware of the like i you'd have to ask someone else to answer the question for me because um there are so many things that i just think of as normal that i'm sure are are not normal <laughs> <laughs> can we even define normal and when i do pray by the way when i do make deals with god it's always with mormon god because if there's a god it's obviously the mormon god <laughs> Uh, oddly, I, I find myself sometimes singing hymns, but um, oh, yeah. I, I randomly break out into all sorts of songs all the time. And just sometimes I find that I'm singing hymns. Uh, it's because I used to sing them every day for a good, I suppose, seven, eight, nine, ten years of my life. It was, you know, yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's probably the only hang up I have from from being. Uh, in religion, I, I love Christian music too. Like I, some of it, I, I mean, I, I do love that. Um, like, um, yeah, gospel music and hymns and stuff. Like, I still listen to that. And um, yeah, I, I love the uh, the Christian like artistic tradition. I guess. Um, 
yeah, no, I, I do love it. And I don't feel like I'm not allowed to enjoy it, you know, like, um, I like wholeheartedly and then also kind of stuff that's, um, maybe more like lowbrow, I guess, <laughs> not like great Christian art, but like, you know, Reliant K and Switchfoot and stuff. I still really like those bands and listen to them all the time. I remember you, I used to listen to live a bit as well. This was, I was an atheist by then, but I believe they were a Christian band. Alive? No, just live. That's what they were called. Live? Oh, I've never heard of them. Huh. Uh, um, check them out. They're all right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, I got do you have any weird beliefs today that you'd think were atypical for an atheist? <laughs> yeah. um, do I have any beliefs that are atypical for an atheist? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I have a couple of them. Um, uh, I was kind of laughing to myself earlier because um, clearly, you you know, you'd think I was joking about the Mormon thing, be, like Mormonism being the most plausible form of Christianity. Um, but I actually unironically believe that Mormonism is the most plausible form of Christianity. Um, not for, I mean, just because Mormons reject perfect being theism. They think that God is like a physical being that came about through like a, a certain, like it's, it's, it is Christianity, but it's like pretty distinct from, from Christianity. And like, they don't think that God um, can do anything logically possible. He's not omnipotent in that way. He's not really like morally perfect, I don't think. Um, so like they kind of, they, they don't buy into perfect being the theism. They buy into what I call um, just some guy theism, where God is basically just some guy. And um, it's like, that actually does kind of help you out quite a bit with like the problem of evil and like design arguments. And, um, you know, Mormons also don't believe in hell or eternal conscious torment. Um, they're universalists. So it's a lot of advantages, I think, to, you know, and obviously there's a lot of like weirdness early on with, you know, the gold plates and the new revelation and all that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, and they're like anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. And it's like, but the thing is, that's a liability for every form of Christianity. Like there are anachronisms in the Bible. Like it's just we're so far away from the origins of the Bible that we just think of it as like normal, but we're really close to the origins of Mormonism. So it's like, the, you know, I, I just think that, you know, the fact that we happen to be born now instead of like 500 years in the future, um, that, that really shouldn't make a difference. But I think that that is kind of doing a lot of work, making Mormonism seem less plausible than other forms of Christianity. Like if it was older, we would somehow treat it as like more plausible. Um, and, uh, I don't think that's rational. So anyway, um, I think, yeah, so I, I, I guess that's probably pretty unique among atheists that like, by the way, no form of Christianity is plausible. I'm just saying like, which one is like the least implausible? I think that's probably like Mormonism. Um, but uh, I think that, um, so I'm pr probably the only atheist um, in the world who thinks that <laughs> um, I also um, belong to a pretty, something that is surprising to people is that not all atheists are physicalists. Um, shouldn't be surprising because there's literally no connection at all between atheism and physicalism. Um, but like sociologically, there is like culturally. So I reject physicalism. Um, and uh, 
Uh, that's a pretty standard atheist belief, I guess, is is an adoption of physicalism, which I'm pretty confident is false. I'm actually more confident that physicalism is false than I am that theism is false. Um, and I'm pretty sure theism is false. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty um, unusual for atheists, I guess, to uh, reject physicalism. Um, but... Uh, that's just sort of it's unusual for atheists like on the internet i guess like if you look in like um like academic atheist philosophy it's a it's a mix of people you know like the most prominent non-physicalists are all atheists like david chalmers or thomas nagel or philip goff or galen strawson like a lot of the or like if you want to reach back into history more like schopenhauer and nietzsche and stuff like these people are all non-physicalists like physicalism is like this weird like modern aberration that just has these vaguely sciencey connotations and people buy into it because they think it's the it's the one that you get if you just go off the neuroscience which is like completely <laughs> not true um but uh yeah it's just like um there's no connection between atheism and physicalism except just like a shallow cultural one so um, so, in, like, I recognize that many atheists, like, online are physicalists, but I'm saying it's actually not weird to be an atheist and a non-physicalist. It's actually pretty common. Um, uh, but other than that, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I, I'm a moral realist. You know, I think, I believe in objective morality. Um, I've... Where do we? <laughs> uh, yeah. You're in good company there. <laughs> um... Oh, that, I don't again, know. that's um, another uncommon one, especially with online atheists. Yeah. Um, which I mean, it, it it is quite common among um, like, like uh, uh, academics. Again, isn't it? I think it was from the recent Phil Papers survey. It was something like sixty six percent or sixty one percent were uh, you know accepted moral realism. Um, or yeah, what it was most likely. Yeah, I mean, it just seems clear to me that's the way the world is, you know? Like, I mean, I feel like I have moral knowledge. Um, and if people, you know, I have moral knowledge, so there must be moral facts, right? Like, I can't have moral knowledge if there aren't any moral facts. Um, you know, something like, the Holocaust was wrong. I'm pretty certain of that proposition. I, I think I know that. So there's an example of moral knowledge. Um, if you want to say that that proposition is false or that there's no fact of the matter or something like that then you're free to but i think that's completely insane so <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> so, like, I, I am more certain of that the truth of that proposition you know the holocaust was wrong like it, like i said it's a pretty sure example of moral knowledge that i have there um it, it kind of implies that there are moral facts um, that's just your opinion <laughs> yeah if you think the holocaust isn't something that's wrong, then there's probably something kind of wrong with you. <laughs> um, yeah, so moral real I mean, I sort of believe in free will, like a compatibilist, like a weak compatibilist version of free will. Um, so that's something that's changed, I guess, from early, like early on when I was an atheist. But um, I also, I'm, I'm sort of open to the idea of teleology in nature. I mean, just coming back around to like the evolutionary biology stuff, like, um, Thomas Nagel has argued for natural teleology. Um, so you can think that there's like a, you know, I guess purpose and design and teleology in nature without necessarily thinking it came from like a god. Like there could be sort of um, teleological laws of nature that are just not really 
um, among the physical laws that we that we know about. But it's not that I positively believe in that. It's just something I'm I'm open to, um, and that's very that's pretty unusual, I guess, for for atheists. But anyway, that, uh, <laughs> what about you guys? <laughs> I feel like I've been like rambling on here for a minute. So that, that's my list of weird beliefs, I guess. But um, what about you? I'm pretty much all my beliefs are weird, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mine are a lot like yours. Moral realism. Um, yeah. I'm a compatibilist. Are you? Before actually studying philosophy, I was pretty much a hard determinist, but I've moved more towards the compatibilism, especially when there's a sort of Dennett kind of compatibilism. Um, yeah, same. I don't think all theists are irrational. That seems to be a pretty yeah. kind of uncommon <laughs> belief in atheists today. And that, um, that religion isn't necessarily a bad thing. We, you know, it's it's not a mental illness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a weird kind of property dualist. Okay. Haven't quite that. moved into panpsychism yet, <laughs> but I'm hoping to have you on for a discussion with that at some point. Yeah, I haven't we're... taken the panpsychism pill yet. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> yeah, now that is something that I would love to to learn a bit more about as as well. Actually, um, I, I've listened to to a couple of your your streams on it. And it's sort of like, okay, I think I sort of get what you're talking about. I don't get the justification yet but i think i get what you're talking about now it's as you know at the moment it's still a little bit out there like uh you know charismatic christianity is uh <laughs> i think there's also a lot of kind of misunderstanding of misunderstandings about what panpsychism is itself among a lot of people like a brain having consciousness isn't the same as a brain being conscious would that be right um, uh, no, I mean, rock, mean, I mean, a rock, sorry. Oh, oh, oh yeah, obviously <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, it's just like, if you, I mean, earlier I said, I'm not a physicalist, but you know, sometimes I think of panpsychism just as like a sort of weird form of physicalism. It's kind of, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of naturalistic theory as far as I'm aware. Yeah, totally. It's just like, if you think that brain states and mental states are identical, um, you know, because panpsychists do believe that, like, human mental states and human brain states are identical. Like, they believe the same thing physicalists do in that regard. But, you know, these things seem pretty different, right? Like, if you consider, like, the taste of pineapple and then, like, a glob of tissue, and you just look at the glob of tissue and you reflect on the taste of pineapple, it's not immediately obvious that these are the same thing. <laughs> they seem kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> they They seem to not share their properties. Okay, so it takes some philosophical work to make them the same thing. And a lot of physicalists just don't do that work. They just don't even think they have to. They're just like, well, there are correlations. I can take a nice picture of the brain and like that somehow proves physicalism or something. Um, you know, and it's just completely just awful philosophy. It's mostly supporting physicalism. But it's like, look, like I said, the panpsychism, you can think of it if you want as a form of physicalism where it's like, no, panpsychists believe that that glob of tissue and the taste of pineapple are identical, but they do—they actually take up the task of making, of doing the philosophical work of bringing these two very different seeming things together, making them the same thing. But it just kind of seems to imply that um, that if physical matter is like identical with conscious experiences, 
then it's very hard to like avoid panpsychism. You know, like if you just want to say like different arrangements of physical stuff, like that just is what a conscious state is, then it kind of, you have to start making arguments against panpsychism to like just avoid it. Um, so yeah. what we would think is like, yes, like human consciousness, you know, it's nothing but your brain and body. Like it just is identical to that. And then as you go down, you know, so just think about it physically, like, you know, down to the level of electrons, like starting with the human body, going all the way down to like quarks, you know, you've got this gradient of physical complexity. Um, and what panpsychists think is that there's a corresponding gradient of mental complexity that exactly corresponds with the, you know, increasing and decreasing levels of physical complexity. But there's just a continuous gradient going from you all the way down to quarks. You know, there's no sharp cutoff where things start, like, changing dramatically. Like, it's the same stuff, you know. Like, there's not really any ontological difference between the quarks and you. It's just the same type of stuff. So it's like, if you want to argue that these two things, you know, conscious experiences and physical states are identical, then, you know, it just kind of follows that panpsychism is possible, and you're going to have to make arguments like against it because at some point, you know, just physical states stop being like stop involving consciousness. And, you know, um, you know, I kind of just blew past this earlier, but it's like, you know, I sort of think of like, you know, the brain and the brain states and the mental states as two sides of the same coin, as it were. Like, you know, there's only one stuff there, but like there are sort of two, there's like a mental aspect that's sort of internal and then it appears to you as like a physical aspect, but there's really only one stuff like ontologically that's here. Um, and yeah, again, panpsychists just think that physical matter is like that in general. It's not just arbitrarily confined to things that um, kind of look like us, you know, like we can't really, like panpsychists can't really find a cutoff that wouldn't feel totally arbitrary, you know, because you've got to believe if you think that there wasn't consciousness and then there was, You've got to like pick a point in evolutionary history or pick a point in like fetal development where suddenly it, physical stuff just it is now like identical to conscious states for some reason. Like conscious states just erupt into existence. Um, you know, I mean, why I'm not totally sure, but like, uh, you know, there's this gradual process of evolution, there's this gradual process of fetal development, and then boom, at some point the lights come on. Um, yeah. and you know, panpsychists just don't buy that. Like they just think it goes all the way down. So, um, you know, any sort of emergence there, it would require a sort of unintelligible form of strong emergence. If you're going to get consciousness from non-consciousness, there's going to be, um, you know, there's not going to be a smooth gradient, which is what you want. If you're a physicalist, right? You want, because you want a smooth gradient of gradual change, whether you're talking about evolutionary change or climbing mountain probable, you know, it has to be this gradual change, but with consciousness, you know, um, it couldn't have been this gradual change. It will be this kind of, um, uh, I'm kind of mixing up two arguments here. Sorry. You, you weren't really even asking about this and I just started. <laughs> no, it's interesting. <laughs> Keep going. But we, we'll have you on to have a proper conversation because it was kind of briefed over when I was doing my undergrad and my, masters but it's not really something discussed or at least not over here and i briefly looked into it like i say but it's kind of good to have the conversation so that you can iron out what's the finer details that you're not understanding and that kind of thing yeah 
Yeah, no, I I'm think, totally, totally down to talk about it sometime. I think both Philip and and Luke have expressed uh, a want to to join in for for this conversation in the future as well. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll open it up to a few more people, and uh, yeah, that, I'd be really interested. Cool. No, I'd be more than happy to do it. Um, a couple of comments in the chat, which probably worth bringing up before it's too late. Um, I think this one might be a misunderstanding of what you said. Um, it says, to suggest that the experience of looking at a brain experience the, the taste of pineapple is equivalent to the phenomenal uh, experience of tasting the pineapple on physicalism seems kind of straw manny. No, I mean, physicalists believe, I mean, I was thinking of identity theorists there where they think that, you know, these experiences that you're having are identical to brain states. That's what physicalists, that's what identity theorists say. They say that yeah, yeah. brain states and mental states are identical. So the taste of pineapple and a certain brain state, a little glob of tissue at a certain moment in time, like those two things are identical. They are the same thing, according to an identity theorist. And they obviously don't seem like the same thing. And it takes philosophical work to unify them, you know. Um, but a lot of physicalists just don't want to do that philosophical work. They think it's just kind of they they'll say like I don't even have the intuition that those aren't the same thing. Yeah, okay. Um, or they'll just say like they they think that they you know because neuroscience you know and that's the end of the argument. They're just like hey neuroscience, there are correlations. It's like yeah I know there are correlations. Everyone knows there are correlations. It doesn't mean these things are identical. <laughs> I suppose something like uh, uh, Mary's room um, is another one that, that that can be brought up and is often. I've seen that one sort of hand waved away. Oh no, you're just getting it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I try to actually stay away from some of those traditional arguments um, because they're not really what convinced me. And I want to try to lead people, I guess, down the same like path of thought that I went down, I guess, which had to do with a sort of Galen Strawson argument about like getting consciousness from non-consciousness is like it would require an unintelligibly strong form of emergence. Um, so not every non-physicalist likes that argument, but, um, you know, it's one of the ones that convinced me. And then lately I've sort of like vagueness arguments and things like that. But yeah, Mary's room, I kind of stay away from because everyone thinks they understand it. And like, um, but yeah, I mean, you have to admit at least like, you know, okay, so Mary knows all the physical facts and then she, has the experience of seeing red. She obviously learned something. So, you know, we already stipulated that she knows all the physical facts. So it's like, there must be non-physical facts. That seems like the straightforward interpretation, but obviously there are like physicalist replies and some physicalists even grant that she does learn something, but they find a way to um, avoid- the, Like, like the ability hypothesis and- Yeah. Yeah, so I don't really care. I mean, like, I don't, like, the, like I said, some of these arguments, they're useful in specific, like, dialectical contexts, but just hitting people with them cold is um, usually not that convincing to anyone. Yeah, that's fair. So Dijon says uh, that he thinks that the, the brain, as in us, experiences the external world, world thanks to our bodies. Looking at the brain and experiencing something is the same thing, but different perspectives. Um, I, if I understood you, then that's basically what I think. Um, you know, like I tried to use the, you know, it's two sides of the same coin or whatever. It's like, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure we're in agreement, um, if I understood correctly. Yeah. That's the kind of weird property dualism I hold to. <laughs> but not quite Chalmers property dualism, but... I don't, I mean, I'm not a fan. I think that property dualism kind of suffers from most of the problems of substance dualism. Like, I don't think it yeah. really avoids most of them. And it's like, I'm, like, so I'm mostly sympathetic to panpsychism. The runner-up for me is dualism of some kind. Um, but more than anything, it's like, look, I'm just a realist about subjective experience, and I'm not going to be talked out of that. And uh, I'm pretty confident of non-physicalism, but I'm, you know, I'm open to different ideas. You know, I'm not married to any particular thing. But yeah, I'm, I think dualism is plausible. I just think it has more problems than, than forms of monism. So if you can be a monist while maintaining your realism about subjective experience, then that's what I would prefer to do. Um, yeah, even if it forces you into some kind of panpsychism. There's uh, another comment from Honestly Atheist, um, which I think actually... We should probably save for a future one, but if you want to give a brief response to it, it says panpsychists still have an equal problem of hard consciousness to explain why a brain-sized rock is not conscious in the same way that a brain is, given that they have an equivalent amount of fund particles. It just has to do with the arrangement. Um, you know, it's like different arrangements of physical matter yield different contents of experience. I mean, like, so... I, so honestly, atheist and I are both um, monists. We're both in agreement that, like, if you arrange brain matter differently, then you'll have different experiences. Um, you change the physical configuration. You change the, you know, mental configuration. Um, so when you're talking about a physical structure as disanalogous from a human brain as a rock, then yeah, obviously that's not going to yield anything like a human experience because a rock is not anything like a human being <laughs> like physically and you know like i believe that the physical arrangement of things like that's just uh what consciousness looks like from the outside so I'm, when you're talking about a different physical arrangement you're talking about a different corresponding um set of conscious experiences so you know i don't think rocks are conscious but um you know, even if I did, it's not like their consciousness would be um, anything to write home about. It wouldn't be anything like human experience. Like, it would just be like the most, it, it would just, you know, I, what I'm trying to say is that I answer this question the same way that he does as a physicalist, which is it just comes down to different physical configurations yield different experiences. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, from that point of view, it's it's virtually uh, the same. Um, but they, you'd say that there is more than just physical facts, and that's why... Uh, I mean, I still don't understand why you'd assign the, the, the consciousness to it. Um, I'm, well, yeah, I guess in a way I do think there's more than the physical facts. Mm -hmm. um, I'd agree with you there. Yeah, but... Um, uh... Yeah, I haven't really, I mean, like you said earlier, you're, you're sort of getting what the view is, but not really getting what the motivation for it is. And like, mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's not like I've been trying really hard to motivate it. It's more like when you're talking about panpsychism, you spend 90% of the time telling people that rocks aren't conscious and like, you know, just trying to like combat, you know, misunderstandings of the view. You don't really even get to spend that much time like 
arguing for it. <laughs> That's um, why I want you on the channel to have an actual <laughs> proper discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this would be a great one for the future. So, um, let, let's leave. And Philip wants to join. <laughs> yeah, and and let's leave any any further the questions on the panpsychism for a future stream because, I, like I said, I'd love to do this with you in the future, um, and and have Philip and 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 Luke on as well if he's available. Because um, it's it's sort of what I say about many people who kind of discuss morality. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you have to kind of discuss before the middle point, and most people kind of jump in at the middle point and ignore all the stuff that needs to precede it. And it's sort of like that with panpsychism, from what I can tell. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just hit people with panpsychism cold. Obviously, it's going to... I mean, like, you, you don't just wake up... I mean, you don't just wake up one morning and be like, oh, yeah, panpsychism, that's something that makes sense. <laughs> like, you, you end up, like, walking down a particular path, and then it's like, you know, certain avenues are just cut off to you. And then eventually you're sort of backed into this weird position because it, there's no other option left that really works. So like, you know, that's what happened for me. It's like, you know, it, look, any form of getting consciousness from non-consciousness ultimately doesn't work because it involves an unintelligibly strong form of emergence. And if you want to buy into strong emergence, that's fine. Um, but you're a dualist at that point. So if physicalism is true, then consciousness just shouldn't even exist. There's, it's totally surprising and anomalous that consciousness would exist if physicalism is true um consciousness does exist so it must have like emerged but if it emerged that creates so many problems that, that like you might want to just avoid it by just putting it there at the bottom and saying that it didn't emerge you know it was just always present because then you can avoid all the problems of dualism and you're not stuck with the hard problem of consciousness you know because i mean that's essentially what it is it's like why is there subjective experience at all accompanying these physical, you know, this physical activity? Like, there's all this physical activity, and for some reason, there's subjective experience too. And uh, yeah, I think just physicalism just fails miserably at trying to motivate itself and you know, trying to explain why there is subjective experience or how there can even be subjective experience. I'm guessing you're not a big fan of Patricia Churchland, then. No, Patricia Churchland. <laughs> is is like a youtube comment section became a philosopher like i yeah. literally don't even know how she it's honestly baffling like i mean she's i mean i'll i'll censor myself here a bit but i do not think <laughs> of highly of her work <laughs> there are physicalists i respect by the way there are you know, like peter godfrey smith or mark Solms or you know like but yeah she is not one of them yeah yeah well um I think then is there is there anything else that you'd like to tell us to to tonight? Besides, um, be, be a panpsychist. <laughs> oh, I don't care if you're a panpsychist or not. I just no, I'm, no, I'm just but, joking. Um, uh, no, I mean, I I think that I've uh, you know I, I'm happy that you guys had me on to talk about young earth creationism and charismatic Christianity because they're subjects that are near and dear to my heart. Um, but uh yeah i mean i just think it's it's fascinating and i um i love what you guys do on the channel i'm glad that you're trying to raise the level of discourse and um you know try to make atheists more philosophically educated and stuff and uh really appreciate what you guys do and yeah, um, same i love your work and i'm really happy we had you on i'm sorry for not talking much but i was trying to take in everything you were saying and it was like really interesting so 
No, I, yeah, so I, I'm really uh, grateful you guys had me on, and I hope you guys keep doing what you're doing. No, thank you very much. I've uh, I've dropped a link to your YouTube channel a few times in the in the comments and uh, to your Twitter as well, um, but I, I will also drop it in the in the comments. I say that I always forget, and then Dave says I'll, I'll remind it. you, and he never remembers either. I'll do it in a second. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to um, get on Philip to uh, go solo a little bit. You know, I need him to make some more yeah. philosophy and religion content for me. Yeah, yeah, we want, we want. But we don't do really that. focus on it, so we need Philip to do the, that work and be good at it. He's like <laughs> much better at it than we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we tend to focus on a, a more broad sort of spectrum of topics. Um, plus, I'm I'm a total layperson anyway. I, you know, I, <laughs> so. So am I. I. No, no. <laughs> yeah, you've only got two degrees, Dave, uh, in philosophy. I keep telling you I printed them off the internet. I'm a grad student at PragerU, so maybe you guys are late people, but... Um... You're way more advanced, yeah. I can't compete with that. But yeah, I... I think there's a certain amount of blending that that needs to be done. There's so much interesting stuff out there. And I think too many people have almost had the well poisoned against the things like philosophy. You know, they've heard Dawkins say philosophy is dead and they've just eaten it. Um, yeah. and, and and people talk about things like, like rationality without understanding even the basics of what it means to be rational. Um, <laughs> I had someone <laughs> the other day, no lie, right? I was having a conversation about morality and, uh, and he was just talking about it being a concept. So I was like, well, what about, you know, the laws of logic as well? They're, they're not physical proven things in the same way. That's still conceptual. And, uh, I, I'd, I'd say these are objective things as well. And then I started talking about the laws of logic. I said, you know, think about the law of non-contradiction. Sometimes within human-made systems, it shows that this actually law doesn't work. And he goes, well, what's that law? Turned out he didn't know any of the laws of logic and then went on to say, objective morality is logically impossible. <laughs> what? I, even, yeah. even if it's not true, it doesn't mean it's a logical impossibility. <laughs> like... <laughs> I know people. I mean, like, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I, I like sometimes I'm like, oh man, I hope nobody listens to earlier episodes for me when I like, you know, was probably making mistakes like that and stuff. But you know, I've only been into philosophy of religion, like some of the more niche stuff, for like a couple years, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I like it. I, I'm sad that more people don't like it. But the thing is, like. I used to hate it too, and I've like I'm trying to think back to like when I did hate philosophy and hated philosophy of religion. Like, why was it? And um, you know, I think that maybe I just it was a there were a couple of people I was exposed to who were maybe like bad representatives of it. But I think that for a lot of atheists though, who are kind of anti-philosophy, like I think this is what happens. You can tell me what you think about this. If this is wrong or not? Um, I think that philosophy is. Um, well, it doesn't really enjoy the same status as like science in our culture. And a lot of people just don't even know what philosophy is. Like they have no clue what philosophers do. Like that's kind of standard, I think, in it's our just opinions, culture. isn't it? 
Yeah, it's just all opinions. Like there's it, exactly. Um, so actually, someone did say that to me, but um, it's it seems to be a pretty common thing. Um, or it's like philosophy is just like your opinion, man, and like it's that's all it is. And like, so I think most people just don't even know what philosophy is, and then they uh, reason their way into being an atheist or whatever, and then they their first exposure to philosophy is from Christian apologists because like Christian apologists, like they typically don't take like a more science-based approach. Like some of them do like intelligent design proponents, but um, that has not been going very well. So like the more successful Christian apologetics, it's like the more philosophy of religion oriented stuff. So I think that there's like a sort of, and then, you know, in academia you have like Alvin Plantinga, like, um resuscitating like the respectability of christian um you know philosophy and that sort of thing that's going on concurrently and um so like apologetics has a, has like a really philosophical character you know because the scientific project has not gone so well um but christian philosophy and academia actually has been going like like a lot better than the intelligent design movement so it's like I think that apologetics has this like, you know, distinctly philosophical character and then people are exposed to philosophy simpliciter, like just philosophy full stop for the first time in the context of Christian apologetics. So it just kind of like puts a bad taste in their mouth forever because, you know, they had never even heard anyone talk about epistemology before hearing it like from like presuppositionalists or from like someone who's trying to argue for like reformed epistemology or something. Or like, you know, they just never hear about certain like basic concepts in philosophy until they hear it on, you know, capturing Christianity or something. And then understandably, it kind of puts a bad taste in their mouth, like forever after. And then they end up just like hating philosophy. And it's like, you know, I that does kind of like I would probably hate philosophy, too, but um, under those circumstances. But like. Uh, you know, I, for the life of me, cannot remember how I ended up where I am now, uh, you know, because I used to hate philosophy. I used to hate philosophers, philosophy. I still kind of do hate philosophers, but I used to hate philosophy and now I don't anymore. And I don't know how that happened. But um, anyway, I think that maybe that's how it happens for some people. It's like, you know, they, the only time they ever hear about it is from like Frank Turek or from like a Christian apologist or something. And it just kind of taints the whole thing yeah i completely agree well at least for a lot of them um i also hear people saying well stephen hawking said philosophy is dead and science has replaced it so they're just kind of repeating catchphrases that they hear from other people as well and there's the whole science first idea i think that kind of does it as well yeah no you're right because there is like you know philip goff has talked about um like our scientific culture and everything and how uh like he thinks we're living in like a period of history that's almost like characterized by our relationship to science where we think that it's like the ultimate arbiter of truth it's like you know um because we have all this amazing technology it's like made all this progress in a relatively short amount of time um and we're, we just kind of think well science can solve every problem like why do you need philosophy why do you need anything other than science like look at what science can do and then people don't really reflect on what science is and it's you know lim like limitations and things it literally cannot do in principle and things like that um but yeah it's possible that we're just living in like a uniquely scientific 
period of history. And, and that's why a lot of people hate philosophy as well. It's sort of like finding a new toy and you get absolutely kind of absorbed in the new toy. Yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of us could probably uh, spend <laughs> an entire evening uh, sharing our woes with a lot of the, the people in the community who uh, do make these really bad takes, whether it's uh, about m morality or philosophy or physicalism or, you know, uh, anything like that, or, or, or being completely scientific in their nature. Um, <laughs> it is a problem within the atheist community, especially online. Um, and I don't really know how to actually break down those walls either. There are a few people who enjoy some of the topics and when they learn a little bit more about the topic and you go, you know, that's philosophy, they're suddenly like, oh, and that, <laughs> uh, then they're interested in philosophy. <laughs> but if they're not interested in any of the topics and they just go, no, science, 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 science. <laughs> I don't That's know. why I try to do the streams like we do them, where we have a laugh and we kind of dumb it down a little, but try to make it interesting and try to make it enjoyable. Uh, to be fair, the main reason you dumb it down is so I can understand it. Uh, and me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, right, cool. If there's no more questions in uh, the chat, Dave, did you have anything else that you'd like to ask Emerson before we go tonight? Nope. It, just to say thank you for the conversation. It's been fantastic. I've loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've loved it too. Thank you guys again for having me on. Yeah, no, it's been really interesting. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and have a conversation with us. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to end up having to play it back um, as well because there was a, a lot in there. I definitely learned a lot, but it's uh, I need a second watch through just to capture everything and make sure that I fully understand things. And maybe uh, I need to investigate some of those videos like you mentioned. You know, uh, it's not just... The, the the people rolling about on the floor that's just the entry level there's stuff that goes beyond that and and i need to investigate that and learn a little bit more myself cool well thank you everybody who has watched tonight or is watching on the rerun really appreciate you as well and as we said emerson thank you very much i've dropped your link a couple of times into the chat and obviously follow him over on twitter as well that's at walden pod uh, i've also dropped that in the, the the chat and played it up a couple of times so you've been watching the fresh air sci-fi show i'm joe i'm dave and he's Emerson. <laughs> Have a good night, all.